Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 73 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, we have a couple of things, but in particular, we're going to talk about the big guy today, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Mortal Realms, or sorry, Broken Realms, Bellacore, and we are going to talk about the Warhammer Fest reveals from the week, yeah. and there's a real possibility that during the middle of the show the saturday one will come out and we might have some end of the show discussions the to be had breaking news <laughs> well breaking news on a podcast doesn't exactly work particularly very well Yeah, everybody will know by the time they listen but right it sounds cool while you're listening to the podcast so that's it for today's show and that should keep us plenty busy we have lots of things to talk about from the week that was and uh, a lot of fun stuff in the Bellacor book. So let's move on and dive into Whispers from the War. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. As usual, it's hobby time. Yeah. And Brendan... Regale us with your massive amounts of activity. I wouldn't say it was huge amounts in these last two weeks. I painted five marauders and this morning i finished painting the uh chaos lord on Carcadrac. yes yeah i built the krullgrass cruciator and got that primed so i'm probably going to get that painted this weekend and mm-hmm. yeah i think that's that was mostly it i feel like a lot of the last two weeks were just the other hobby right which is taking care of a house and yard work yeah. and yeah. and that kind of stuff so if, if that's hobby okay I, I, yeah i mean i mean be. sure it's the thing that occupied the time separate i don't remember playing a lot of video games <laughs> and i don't remember watching a lot of tv <laughs> maybe i don't remember what i did uh, <laughs> well it's that time of the year you know outside stuff has to take priority when you own a home so yeah unfortunately that's, that's the way it is when the weather gets better sure what about you dan um a fair amount of stuff. I got my 10 Ulfengard finally painted, which was great. So now Captain Eyepatch has somebody to boss around. <laughs> so that's good. And then I had built and primed my Crimson Court, and I was ready to jump on that. And it was like, wait a minute. You know, I just started reading through the Bellacore book. Like, well, okay, I need to think about my night haunt again. I mm. got to keep up with that. I got to make sure that I'm ready for, you know, a couple of events coming up. So I kind of put my vampires aside and I got my two cruciators. They're built primed. I got some paint on them finally. The bodies are painted. I painted up the crosses, uh, which, by the way, if you paint those models. I'm doing mine in a sub-assembly with the, yes, absolutely. With the torture rack yeah, off. The rack you have to have off because both sides are very detailed. So I you know. I, Kind of, I was ready to put it on. I looked at the back, like, no, I have to paint this first. So I was getting it to them and getting some paint on them. And then I looked at the box of pending projects and I have my two conversion worn goals, you know, who are going to be driving one of my coaches. Right. And it was like, no, I want to focus on that. So I have removed the horses from my black coach. I put some chains on there in their place. I've got the, both of them, I'm going to call them Morngulls because they really look like Morngulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to, 
they've been primed. So now I have to do some detail painting on them. I'm gonna try, I'm trying to figure out what kind of a color scheme I want on them because I primed them gray and I want to keep them very ghosty. So I think I must just do a, a really light dry brush of maybe that um, Nilehawk Oxide, you mm -hmm. know, like green ghosty stuff. Yeah, that's what that's the color I paint, you yeah. know, all of my ghosts. So I think I might try to dry brush that or dry brush some really light, like skink blue on them to make them look kind of, you know, ghosty and ethereal that kind of thing mm -hmm. but i'm not going to do a lot on them i don't know what do you think about those really sharp fingernails what do you think i should do leave them or maybe paint them like a blue or a green or something yeah so what i do with my night haunt is the cloth stuff is that red color but the rest mm -hmm. of them is nylic oxide and then i have some remainder of way watcher green but what you can do is you can thin down probably to about five to one of like warp lightning vortex contrast paint so that mm. it basically becomes a glaze. And I use that in the recesses. And then what I do is mm. I dry brush Ulthwan Gray over the edges. And then the really sharp areas I come over with White Scar. Unless you want to do the claws with something more material in terms of mm -hmm. the color, you know, more like a bone. Otherwise, I would go and, and do it all that ghost color and then bring it to white on the very sharpest edges. So like on the nails could go white. Yeah, yeah. so like you wouldn't do it solid white. You would still do it. You would do it all Nilic, get the edges in Waywatcher, and then dry brush bringing the color up to white at the very tips. Mm, so white at the tips. So dry yeah. brush the tips Yeah, white. so like tra it transitions from okay. oxide to white. That makes sense. On the White on the end? Yes. Okay, got it. All right, that's a good idea. I can give that a try. There are plenty of, plenty of fingernails <laughs> to try it on, so good. So that's what I've been doing, pretty busy. And I also, and we'll find out why later when we talk about the book, but I've also decided to get a couple of uh, boxes of Dreadside Heritance. Yeah, and I'm going to do some stuff with them. I got a conversion thing in the process with them because you know how much I hate those stupid blades on them. So I've got something that I think will look amazing. Uh, it'll be funny, really funny and fun, but I think it'll look cool. That's it for me, but I haven't touched them. They're in the box. So that's hobby time for cool. Dan and Brendan. Now, I want to know what you think about this new Lumineth model, the Pied Piper of no, Warhammer. No, no, it's a Sylvaneth model. Oh, it's Sylvaneth. It is okay. Sylvaneth, yes. All right, yeah, but it's, okay, Dan's opinion, I want yours. Okay. It's just too much. It's just, just too much stuff. It, it's too busy to me, I guess, is the easy way for me to say. Um, I mean, of course, it's a beautiful sculpt with amazing detail, but it's it's kind of visually overwhelming to me. Yeah, I think the, that like hood, that uh, over-the-shoulder arch mm. would be easily removed, and I think the silhouette of the model would be a lot less busy. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I've seen people, you know, kind of, like, wipe that out over the pictures. And I've, I've liked that quite a bit more. Not that I didn't like the original to it, but I definitely understand the there's a lot going on here criticism. Mm -hmm. Especially when you take into consideration the size of it. It's probably on, like, a 60. It's not a big model. It looked like it was on a Lady O base, like a Linder base. Yeah, like a, like a 50 to a 60. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. About anyway, I just wanted to get your opinion yeah, on it's, since we saw it. Yeah, it was a lot. Uh, it's cool. I'm glad Sylvaneth are getting things. I'm glad. Yes. I'm definitely glad that they're getting a tangible model in Broken Realms Kragnos, which means that there's also going to be rules associated with that model. And then Sylvaneth are probably liable to minimum get a battalion. And, you know, maybe some, some nice War Scroll changes like we've seen in some of the other ones to yes. help them out a little bit. That would be wonderful. They are, just like how I think, and we'll talk about it more in depth, Night Haunt are the big winner out of 
Broken yes. Realms Bellacor from a rules perspective, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully Sylvaneth can can yes. benefit and be the same winner in Broken Realms Kragnos. Right, not have to drag along eels or somebody else to make them viable, you know? Yeah, I see, I don't mind the idea of being able to have allies, you know, bring it right. up to that top oh, right. level, but they need them to be viable, Where right. the which is where the problem, I think, yes. stems from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so hopefully we can work on that. That'd be yeah, because what, what book was it when we were... It was the Slanesh Battle Tome where we were talking about you want to be able to build lists you feel good about from within your book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, just a commentary here. We just had this... <laughs> listeners, you know we just ranted a little bit last time, which is un- uncustomary for us. But I just found it very funny how the resumption of pre-orders and the Warhammer Fest stuff followed only days after the pre-order suspension. Oh my gosh, the world is, we're going to do the best we can. Oh, by the way, a week of stuff. Pre-orders are back. Just kind of, hmm, okay. Yeah, we had three weeks off, which was fine. I wish they could still figure out how to get things to places in the time in which they, you know, mm-hmm. kind of promised them. I almost didn't have Broken Realms Bellacor yes. for today's show, and I ordered yeah. it at pre-order date. You happened to be around the Games Workshop yes. on Thursday this week. Yeah. And we're able to deliver it to my house. Like, <laughs> yeah. If not, you wouldn't have it. Yeah, we'd have, a, we'd have one of our classic old school <laughs> shows where Dan and I pass the book back and forth. <laughs> we, we have yeah. improved, I think. So anyway, just whatever. So moving on from that, uh, we have a few new releases, some pre-orders. We have Hive War for Necromunda, mm-hmm. which is the newest version of it. Both Escher and Goliath got bit sprues, and they're very good looking. They're excellent. I've seen both of them. And just so you know, if you're interested in Necromunda and Goliath, Goliath is not one of the gangs in the box set. It is Delac is the new one, and they're kind of the spooky spy guys and underground kind of dudes. This is for people who already have Goliath or are interested in them separate from the box set. And then Oryx got their Diarchasm Warband. Looks yep. great. Uh, fun models in there. And then Chaos got a pitch and some cards and dice and stuff for Blood Bowl. Yeah, yeah cool. All right. Yeah, yeah, cool stuff. So kind of a light pre-order release week, but we always tell you what's out there. Yeah, well, if the indication of you know one of our next segments is any, is any indication of what's coming down the pipe over the course of the next, we'll call it five Ooh. months, Ugh. there are going to be some very expensive wallet days for, <laughs> for some of you listeners. <laughs> for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, games played? Video games. I've been playing Wasteland 3, you know, once or twice a week. It Again, it's an RPG set in a post-nuclear America. Mm-hmm. And the last session that me and my buddy Cody, you know, played through, you're based out of Colorado Springs mm-hmm. is your HQ, you mm-hmm. know, the Air Force Academy. Yeah. We went to go fight the first boss of the game, which is in Denver. <laughs> and this game has been really interesting. Like, the graphics on it aren't amazing. The gameplay is pretty good. Okay. It's very wide open, and the storytelling through the environment and the interactions that you get to make are very compelling. They have some of the most unique factions that I have ever Mm. come across in video games. Neat. So when you go to Denver, you encounter three new factions. Okay. The first of which is, they're called the Gippers, because they... They have created a cult of Ronald Reagan. Oh, that's hilarious. And they have a giant (laughs) Ronald Reagan statue powered by a Ronald Reagan AI. Awesome. (laughs) And all of the women there adopt the name of Nancy. 
and it's it's kind of like a nunnery. But it's a cult, you said. Yeah, it is. Sense, yeah. It is really interesting. Yeah, they're super cool. That's and then you creative. encounter two more. One is kind of a barbarian tribe called the Godfishers. Okay. And they are so far in the game the most objectively evil faction okay. that I have come across. They take people, mm. skin them alive, oh, okay. and then create skin kites that they fly into the sky and to try and gain the god's favor and we encountered somebody like who you know who said they were a god fisher and you know he flew a thousand kites and i was like like what are they talking about and my my buddy's like i don't really kind of like the like what he was saying like wasn't translating because it was it's this really incredible foreign concept well it's something you'd never expect and then so we go to we are engaging in a battle in a base where the godfishers are because the cult of Reagan had told us that, you know, they needed this cleared out. And we were like, okay, these people seem pretty evil. They're less evil than the Reagan cult that yes. we have seen so far. Yes. So we're going to, we'll, we'll go do that. That's okay. Right. okay. And we're in that base. And then they have in the environment one of these kites. Oh. And oh. my buddy and I paused for a moment and we were like, Yo, this is super messed up. These people need to die. Yeah, it, was, it was like there there is no thing that can be asked or or portrayed to us from this messenger that we are going no to No redemption. You'd be like an inquisitor. Yeah, j- just none. <laughs> And so the third faction is uh, a God. robot commune, oh, uh, and they are also enemies with the cult of Reagan. Okay. So when you're dealing with them, like that's supposed to be the the where you have to find like kind of your moral alignment mm-hmm. within the game. You know, do you? I guess you can side with the Godfishers, and if you are one of those people, I need to recommend you to uh, <laughs> an institution. <laughs> You know, Mm. most people are going to be choosing between the cult of Reagan and the robot commune based on where it is that your kind of alignment is within the game and what it is that you want to achieve. Sure. And we ultimately ended up siding with the robot commune because they seem to be the, you know, kind of the least evil of, of the people we were dealing with. Okay. That was like six hours in that whole. That's fascinating. It was a really small map area too. And we spent, you know, six hours doing missions and, and that kind of stuff. But the depth of those factions were so incredible and so unique. It was just really good storytelling. And the game did a really good job of, we never felt like we were railroaded into having a conversation go a specific way. Sure. We always felt like we had the option to do the thing that we we wanted to do, mm-hmm. which was really cool. That so is great. It's been a really fun game. Wasteland 3. Wasteland 3. Okay. And the DLC... The first DLC for it is going to come out here in the next like month or two. Okay. If it goes on sale, folks, on Steam, I highly recommend it. It it has been thoroughly enjoyable. It's a really great game to play with another person online. You can do it by yourself, but having the party split in half makes it super easy, super manageable, and a really good time. Great. Thank you. That's great. I, compared to that, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been playing Civ Six as usual. Mm-hmm. And having a great time with that. So sure, that's it. Uh, events. We both got into Circle City. Mm-hmm. I got the last spot. <laughs> Literally, Mike emailed me, and I'm like, "Oh Lord, I should. Oh, I hate it when that happens." But I got in. Sure. And then I'm talking to you, and you're going, well, "It's going to be a tough field, man." And I'm like, "Well, maybe I shouldn't." And then I go, "Nope, I'm going to roll dice. I'm going to hang out with friends." 
God willing, I'll go three and two if I get some good matchups and good battle plans. Otherwise, I'm just going to have a great time with well, people. Oh, you've got some rules to, to help you, you know, get over that hill. And I'm going to see if I can have some time to, and I probably should have time to incorporate some of those units or try them. Mm-hmm. and modify my list. That's exciting that we're going to get to go the 17th and 18th, I think, of July. Yeah, middle of July. Yep. Same weekend in Minneapolis is an event called Saga of the Flame, typically called Renegade. Yeah. Uh, that one is presently sold out as well, but feel free to go get on the wait list for that event. Yeah, and we just mentioned those the last show, and they're both sold out, so... I'm sure within, literally, it seemed like Circle City was sold out within an hour or something. It didn't take much time. No, it was it was pretty quick. Then you have NashCon and Siege World the same weekend in August. Uh, NashCon is sold out. I have heard rumblings that there may be space opening up over the uh-huh. course of the next month or so. Good. So... If that is something that you are interested in, get on that wait list. If you don't trust me or you don't want to be on a wait list, I believe Siege World has spots available presently. Okay, perfect. And then, yeah, Good. So that's what's coming up. That'll keep us busy through the summer. Yeah, hopefully for and most of you. You've got yeah, and then we got RockCon. I talked about last time mm-hmm. in October, and we have Bruce City in September. Yeah, Dragonfall tickets are going to go live in probably the next month or so. And when is that again? That's uh, mid October typically. Okay. All right, so I won't be going to that. But mm-hmm. then after that, we have Ragnarok yeah, coming you have Ragnarok, up. Ragnarok, you have your early, early events in November. Yep. Yeah, right on track. It's, it's nice beautiful. to have a, a calendar filling up. <laughs> it is wonderful. Okay. Then that is it. Anything else that you can think of for Whispers? I think that's it for us. I think we're good. Yeah, let's fly through it. And we will move on to Emperor Lies. What are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're we're a time bomb. So, Brendan, we're going to start by talking about what we know, at least, with the first five days of Warhammer Fest, which essentially, listeners, was, and most of you have seen or heard it, basically they took one of their hour-long previews that they normally do on Saturday, and they did one of those every day of the week, basically. Same two guys. And we're going to start on Tuesday, because we're going to save the best for last, which was the AOS day on Monday. Yeah. Tuesday, Brendan, was sisters, sisters, and more sisters. And also Warzone. <laughs> yeah. And then we got Warzone, Cheridon, the second book out of three, where Nurgle invades a Mechanicus world. Yeah, Forge a World. Forge World. The sister stuff, some of it was things we had seen before, like the tank came out. There were a couple other things. There were so many, like, heroes. There's a High Lord of Terror. Characters, yeah. I'm most excited for that. You know, not that I play 40K or anything like that. Mm. I really like when the game expands to match some of the things in the lore and some of that stuff that has been kind of hidden behind words and artwork, mm-hmm. right? Where you've given the ambitious hobbyist among you the opportunity to to create that thing. But now you have the opportunity for, you know, more access to the regular person mm-hmm. to be able to use kind of one of these rare one-off characters that exists in the narrative of the game. To your point that people are not aware of unless they've read like Beast Arises or certain book series, they have no idea who these High Lords of Terra are or where they came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great. So do I want all of them to be available all at once? <laughs> no, I, I don't think I do. Yeah. It's one of those things where over time, periodically, like you can sprinkle some of this big mm-hmm. stuff in over time in the same way that I wouldn't want, you know, the surviving Primarchs to all become available no. at, at one time. It's really cool when one of them arrives in the game. Yes. It's huge. Yeah. It's a big, exciting moment. Yeah. Like, I can't wait for Demon Primarch Angron to show up in the game. And I can't wait for Lehman Roos to come back. So. Yeah, sure. 
Okay, so that was Monday or Tuesday. And then Wednesday was Black Library Day. It was kind of a mixed day for me in terms of what I saw. Gaunt's Ghost is going to get a new book. It is not a new book in the series in terms of chronologically. So this is a book about something that happened in the early days of Gaunt's Ghosts. So probably sometime between the founding and, you know, maybe the third or fourth book. It's not going to be totally new, but it's going to be new because it's a new Gaunt's Ghost story. Sure. So that's great. There was a special edition, you know, that's going to be, there's going to be swag. There are minis that came out that you can use in 40K. They look really cool. They look great. I'm so glad they got McCall in there. That was awesome. He is my definitely favorite character other than Gaunt. The sad thing was, though, that as I'm looking through the list, a couple of those guys have passed to the Emperor, and I'm like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. It made me kind of sad to see them, you know? Like, oh, I don't want to be reminded about that guy. So anyway, that was kind of cool. The Sebet World's Crusade book has come out. I had that book. I've had it for a long time. I've read it. This is more of a kind of amped up version of it. Special edition of a special edition, <laughs> as it were. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very good and very informative. So if you are interested in the Sabbath World's Crusade, I would definitely recommend it. The next book was Erdesh, and it focuses on the Iron Snakes, who my first book about the Iron Snakes was a Dan Abnett book. And I definitely hope the main character from those stories is in this. So that one has my interest. There's a gaunt Bookmark? Okay, fine, whatever. (laughs) Then there's a book called Valpone Glory or Valpony Glory. And the Valpones are kind of a rival regiment of the ghosts. They've always dealt with them. And most of the time they've had to deal with them. It's been very adversarial, even though they're both Imperial Guard regiments. A lot of conflict between the two. So I have no interest in that book. (laughs) But if you're interested in that stuff, that would be great. Then we have Warhawk. We've seen the next book after Mortis, which is the Khans book, which should be fabulous. And the artwork for that is the Khan versus Mortarian. (laughs) Which is Mortarian as he is, like the demon Mortarian. Right. And there are even some things like... I couldn't I couldn't remember there's some excerpts from the book or something where Khan is just like, okay, we're just gonna do this. I know <laughs> I'm gonna get my butt kicked, but we're gonna do this. Then we have three Warhammer crime books. We listened to one of those, Cindy, didn't we? Yeah, we went to visit your mom the first time and it wasn't bad. It was okay. But there are three more books in the crime series. What a riveting review of that one. Well, I hate it. it was okay. Boy, I yeah. salesmanship job. No, it, it was good for killing time. That's <laughs> what it was. The next one I'm very interested in because there is a guardswoman named Minka Lensk, and she is part of the Cadians who survived the destruction of Cadia. And her regiment of Cadians has a first novel, and now this is her second novel, which is great. She's a great character. It's really a good guard novel. So I would definitely recommend that. And then here's another one that's not going to get much of a sales job, Brendan. Oh, boy. It's The Twice Dead King, and it's a Necron book. So if you are interested in Necron lords and Necron legacies and you know all those kind of things, I'm sure you'll be very interested in Twice Dead King. So Cron fans... You got a book. So that was Wednesday. Thursday. Brendan, looks like we got some fish people. We did get some fish people. And what are they doing? It doesn't matter. We have a crab. <laughs> uh, if, if you have been on Warhammer Internets since Thursday at all, you know <laughs> that the single best model so far from this that people are most excited about isn't the Friday that we were going to talk about. Isn't the Monday that we were going to talk about. It's the crab. It's the Idenet Deepkin crab unit. 
People love that crab. And everybody is kind of unanimous in the opinion that they're going to be giving their crab a little knife. And yeah, it has dominated my Twitter feed for about 48 hours. I was at the store yesterday looking for some stuff. It was at Michael's, you know, looking for some scenic basing stuff. And Mm -hmm. there was a section that had all kinds of nautical stuff like seashells and little sea, you know, half inch starfish and stuff. And I'm going, I got to get some of this stuff to use with the crab. (laughs) It's one of those things. It's one of those things where I feel really bad for the artist because like I know that they have poured a lot of time and energy and heart yeah. into all sorts of different projects, right? Not just this Underworld's Warband. Sure. Things that they, you know, things that they should be really proud of regardless. And the thing that was best received <laughs> was the crab. A crab <laughs> on a 32 millimeter base. <laughs> He's like an inch wide. He's tiny. Yeah. yeah it's hilarious. Everyone loves him. <laughs> and you know they're going to be like a million memes now. You know there are. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, the whole week, that's probably the highlight, right? So far. It's hilarious. I saw the warband. I was like, oh, you know, this is pretty neat. You know, this yeah. is a cool new yeah. soul render. You know, there's a. Uh, there's an Ishlaian on foot. You know, mm-hmm. there's a new Namardi. The little fish was pretty cool. And I was like, yeah, that crab's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm scrolling through Twitter and it's like, you Boom. mess with crabbo, you get the stabbo. <laughs> or hand over your glory and no one gets hurt. Uh, <laughs> it's too much. Great stuff, dude. Yeah. So, you know, that was the highlight to what should have been the actual highlight, which is the plastic Thunderhawk. Yes. Yeah. In. Now, let's be clear. This is not 28 millimeter, three foot long. People didn't specify. They wanted a plastic Thunderhawk. (laughs) Games Workshop gave it to them. I don't understand what the problem is. In Aeronautica Imperialis, Wrath of Angels, which is a new box set, Alduri versus Salamanders, you get Thunderhawks. Plastic Thunderhawks. One and a half inch long Thunderhawks. So yeah, that was hilarious. It was kind of a funny day for those two things. And then we got a new gang book. We got Necromunda House of Shadow, which is Delac. Man, those models that are associated with that are so creepy. Yeah. And and it's so, to me, it was so thematic of that gang and their theme and what they do in the Underhive. So, that, so that unsettling. Very, very successful. Whoever did those minis looked great. And you got to be thrilled if you were a Delac fan. And I know a few. Okay, so that was Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then Friday... They opened with having to address the 400-pound crab in the room. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and then they got on to the actual reveals. Yes. Which was a 40K day, which is weird that they had to start with addressing <laughs> how much everybody loved the stupid the, the little crab. <laughs> the first thing, a new orc box is the Beast Snaga orcs, which are these guys on the kind of weird look, cavalry-looking squigs. Squig hogs. Giant, yeah. giant ones, yeah. And did you see that little, like, it almost little, looked, The little grot squig? Yeah with a wheel yeah. and it looked like he had dynamite it looks like he's he almost dynamite he's got a rocket like it's it almost is like a little bomb thing that goes around with the squig so that was in there and then obviously a lot of foot guys in that box looks great it had uh, a good savage look to him i i think they'll make fine translations over to bone splitters and things absolutely like that. they could and then we're getting an orc decks great for the orcs and this is something we haven't seen before. We actually got a mega armored war boss. You don't in usually plastic. see them in plastic, which is really nice. And the model uh, is fantastic. I was so, when I saw it, I was like, <laughs> there's a big shooter and a grot on top. It's like, yes. I was like, I'm going to buy this model, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's one of those hobby project mm. things, man. It looks great. Uh, I still have to, you know, cross the Rubicon and buy Gauskull and replace yeah. my old metal one. Of course. But it was a great day for orcs and very happy for all the orc players who are interested in these things and, and maybe Fan- some new orc players, I think. Fantastic really? models. And, and that's probably not the whole line no, uh, of absolutely. stuff that's going to be coming with it. There's got to be more, but this is a great start. And so that was that. And then we had a guard sprue. There were heads, weapons. Very nice. I mean, mm-hmm. really some wonderful stuff there. And they showed them painted, which was really cool. So you got a little perspective, I think. It was almost like a painting guide for guard players, which was nice. Mm-hmm. That they had them not just plastic. Not and just I- plastic. And you got different skin tones. So like you can actually see a different way to look at the models, which is really cool and great. Yep. It's very difficult sometimes to imagine the different ways to paint it if you don't have the reference in front of you. I'm glad that they've actively made the choice to you know, include that for players to see how to paint things differently. And that's something that you've seen in some Age of Sigmar armies mm-hmm. a little more frequently, particularly like the Slaves of Darkness Warband and the Hedonites where you where you do get different skin tones yeah. throughout the book. It looks great. And again, it it's so much a painting guide that you normally don't see with sprues. And I hope when they release sprues, they do that all the time. That would be great. Then the last thing was a mysterious psychic storm is coming. It looked like a gray knight. They already did psychic awakening. Like why? This is exactly. What are we doing here? Yeah. Maybe it'll be like one of the super old school gray knight, like I don't want to say chapter masters. I want to say like founders. Or it could be a new gray knight codex. Probably also that. I think that. Yeah. yeah. I think that probably is part of it. Yeah, they could be doing another Drago or something like that. Yeah, they could. That could be it. But uh, yeah, at first, I thought exactly what you I just I wonder thought. if we'll get Primaris Grey Knights. No. I don't no. think they will. I think that's too... You think that's too far, Dan, huh? I think that's too far away from the lore. I don't think that... It's kind of like getting Primaris Custodes, I think. So that's why I think they won't do it, because they won't do Primaris Custodes. Because Custodes are better than Primaris already, so why do that? And Grey Knights, they're probably thinking, well, they're better than Primaris already anyway. So Maybe. maybe. Hey, See, but that's I, the thing. Grey Knights are just regular space marines who underwent special trainings. Why very not? Very special Why training. not get Primaris and send them through very special training so they can be even better? Mm? Primaris mm? are too assembly I'm line. sorry for the hate mail that you're going to receive, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> They're too... Primaris are still too assembly line. They're not custom built like the Grey Knights and the Custodes are. So we'll see. It's, mm. it's an interesting point and maybe we'll be talking about this when we find out what the psychic storm is. Sure. So that was Friday. Now let's talk about Magnificent Monday. Sure. We got a spectacular god that was released yeah. on the tabletop, Kragnos. That guess was right of, you know, he's a god. We was wrong in the sense of god beast. We were wrong in the guess of beast of chaos. He is destruction. But, you know... When you look at his model, he looks like a huge Senegor to me. He just does. He does, yeah. You know, so in terms of what the look is for Beasts of Chaos, he looks like a Beast of Chaos. But he is Destruction. He's, so now Destruction have their own god, mm-hmm. you know, which is great. They've always had a god in Gorkamorka, but it never made it tableside. But nothing visceral. Nothing they could really... Put your hands to. Right on the table, right. They always had references to him, but never... Mm-hmm. Yeah, now the only factions that don't have gods you can put on the table are Chaos, Mm -hmm. which is fine. Yeah, because they've got four other gods. They've got plenty. (laughs) They have certainly appropriate representatives (laughs) in each faction. Yeah, so so Kragnos was super cool. The previews for the rules that they did were real slick. A two-up save. Oh, and that shield? Wow. 
Holy mutt, man. Go ahead, throw your spells. <laughs> That's really good. It is really good. <laughs> I mean, not being... Let's assume that the vast majority of spells are seven or less. We have a few eights. Mm-hmm. But trying to roll an eight on three... Di- now, of course, you're always going to have bad now rolls. Now you're trying to beat the casting attempts. Right, but so that means a nine or... or let's say an eight or better or a nine mm-hmm. or better. When your average is an 11 on three dice, you've got a really good chance of just saying, uh, no, thank you. And that's great. I think that's wonderful that you got an anti-magic god for destruction. Very cool. Well, it's not so much that he himself provides that, but it's the artifact that he carries that that lets him do that. And I think that's a really good way of being able to introduce that ability to a character without making them themselves a wizard, right? Right. Because it wouldn't make a ton of sense, you know, with the little that we know right now, that this god who, you know, came to power by breaking dragons and defeating you know the strongest of his kinds and then having to be buried under a mountain by the slan you know would be some kind of like innate anti-wizard kind of character so having something that does that makes a lot of sense sure that was really cool and we're looking forward to seeing the rest of his rules i assume he's going to do a gazillion damage Mm -hmm. and is going to you know going to be pretty quick he is beefy as hell yeah yeah so that was really exciting that was really cool that was an awesome review that you know we got to look at but then the thing that you were probably more excited about was the remainder of the soul blight range was Which is really nice. was released yeah. and a release month was given to us yes may may so in terms of when you know we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday or day before yesterday and the logic for me is they're part of the reason they're doing this in may is because money you know they want to get sales off of this thing before the end of the year let's just be honest mm-hmm. they do so releasing a pre-order the third or fourth week doesn't make a whole lot of sense from a fiscal standpoint because they're not going to get much out of that so that would mean either this week or next week the first or second weekends in the month was when it would have to be for them to make it worth their while that way yes and i see what you're saying and that's why i think that the pre-order being on the 22nd would make sense because that's mm. an influx of money on the 22nd. And then on the 29th, you have another spend in store. Mm-hmm. And that's two weeks of... So 22nd is what you're calling. That's my guess. To hedge my bets here, the 15th isn't unreasonable. Yeah, that's my guess. But... Right. I'm a proponent of the pre-order being the 22nd with then the 29th okay. being sure. a release date. Okay. And then store sales and so mm-hmm. forth, right? Yep. Good. Okay. Well, and well, release date if you didn't pre-order it. Right, of course. Who if knows you, who knows when you'll get your store. Right. Who knows when you'll get your models if you don't pre-order. But I'm just telling you, I'm going to be there once again at 10:50 so that when the door opens, I can buy my book. You get that lawn chair. <laughs> All good stuff. So, in terms of models, it very mixed review of the newest hero model, which is a Morngull except for the head, and the head is an upper body. It just interesting. It's a dragon body. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of you can have a lot of discussion which one it which it's, way it goes. Cuz it's wing, it's wings on the front mm-hmm. and I guess it would technically be like a wyvern uh, mm-hmm. if you want to get into like bestial myth like mythology. Now see what I'm thinking here and the reason I like this from a vampire perspective is it takes me back to the Strigoi vampires, the bestial vampires, not the ones that were the counts and countesses mm-hmm. and you know kings and all that stuff, but you did have the Strigoi, that whole I feel like the Strigoi that, are flesh eater courts. Perhaps, yeah. Right, in terms of like the aesthetic of how that carried over. Sure. The feral stuff is actually what I think to be the, the Vicaros line. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, you know, we'll talk With, about those models yep, in a second. we're coming up. But these are really something all their own where they yes. are kind of nightmarish. In, oh, and I love that. 
piece of it. Mm -hmm. I love the horror type of look. I'm very pleased with this. And I like that it's a dual build. You can build the, the named hero or, or the regular else, one, which is great. That's really, really cool. Excellent model. And then we have <laughs> now we have Radagar again. And this is Radagar like super. The model is, this is huge. This is Radagar the Beast. Yeah, he is. And this, from what I can tell, is post. He's like mega boss size. It's like he's escaped. Cursed City and done something weird. My comment to you is when we had this discussion about Cursed City and the War Scrolls, mm-hmm. saying, you know, these are the War Scrolls that we're going to see in the and book. And it was keyworded Radicar, which yeah. was very weird. Right. Because if there's a War Scroll for this, and there will be, it can't be anything near what it was in Cursed City. It has to be, t- the model is huge. You have those two little duders that are going to, you know, have a little knife attacks and stuff. I just think this is going to be unique War Scroll to Soulblight. I yeah. really do, based on the model. Sure. And when you're talking about, like, the rules that is that already existed on the scroll, when it was keyworded to Radicar, you know, the wolf, mm-hmm. or keyworded Radicar or whatever, this one is also going to have keyword Radicar. Sure So now, granted... You still are looking at like the 680 point, you know, mega blob or whatever it is. And we will see. We will see. I want want to find out. I still don't think you're going to take that. (laughs) That, But I think of the models that we saw, he was the one that I found to be most compelling. I wasn't, I'm not as super jazzed about the Soul Blight release as I was about the Bone Reapers. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that is because the Bone Reaper release, like as they were describing everything, I was like, this just plugs into the way I like Warhammer. This is the aesthetic I like. This is the way I like to play the game. All of this stuff is around it. Cool, awesome, fantastic. And as part of it, you know, I'm not as super enthused for the Soul Blight stuff. That doesn't mean that you're not allowed to like it. Yeah. You know, the, like, <laughs> okay. you enjoy it. But for me, you know, there's the Dire Wolves. Oh, and you have their, their matron. Yeah, you have, you have Grandma Vampire. Uh, uh, yeah. It'll be out there. And so, you know, for me, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, I'm just going to buy, you know, kind of one of the new kits for everything. I'm not, I'm not, I don't love any of it so much that I'm going to replace, you know, everything. I don't look at it and I'm like, oh my God, I need to have this, this huge collection of these. The one thing this did do for me is make me even more interested, if I can be, in the different dynasties or dynasties. Yeah, the bloodlines. Right, the bloodlines, because now you got two more, because you got the horrible whatever she was, Mm -hmm. that kind of dragon-looking, that's one bloodline. You got the animal bloodline with Granny and 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 Radagar. And I almost, you know, one of those things, how I love doing this before I actually see the book, is just picturing, yeah, direwolves. Just dire wolves, you know, <laughs> kind of like that new orc stuff. Just seeing all beast snaggers on their giant cavalry orc, you know, squig cavalry squiggers. Yeah. So I kind of got a picture of that, and it was like, yeah, that would be very cool on the table with Granny and uh, Radigar back there. So very, very nice, wonderful. That was, Monday was a wonderful day to start the week. It really was. And then Saturday, folks. is today. We don't know yet. Is now. And we won't know here for another hour and a half, probably at least. Yeah, something like that. Hour and a half, 20, hour and... 15 minutes before. Check my uh, phone, see if I have 97 million notifications. No, I don't. <laughs> Two hours from now. I'm looking at the clock. It's mm-hmm. quarter to 11, so we'll know what it is. And if we're still recording, which we may or may not be, we will let you know. And you're probably listening already. So Yeah, you uh, probably already know, so I'm sorry. <laughs> That's radio, as it were. <laughs> so that is Warhammer Fest. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Nothing wrong with that. So let's take our shot here, right? You know, we, we have stated the time on the clock, so we don't actually mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm couple ideas what do you think i think it won't be sigmar 3.0 i think it could be and now this is just dan dreaming of course it, it could be soul blight they could say here it is 
it could be another release for something else, you know, some other gaming system, you know, one of the mini games or something. It could mm-hmm. be that. So I think because it is Saturday, it may include things for, you know, some of the other smaller ones. But because it is Saturday, you have the availability of all of your market audience to sit there and watch it and sell whatever the product is to. Mm -hmm. So I think no matter what, it's going to be either or both of the flagship games, right? In 40K Mm -hmm. and Age of Sigmar. And I do think it will be 3.0 for the fact that the last edition of... 40k was announced at Warhammer Fest, which mm-hmm. would have occurred at effectively the same time in the year. And what they'll do is over the next six to eight weeks is they will drip feed, you know, rules from the next edition and what it means for all of the different armies over the course of those weeks with a pre-order sometime in June. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, you're right. This time on Saturday is convenient for a UK, European, and American audience. It is still quite inconvenient for, you know, the Australian, New Zealand audience because oh. this is the middle of the night. Yeah. This allows you to sell whatever the idea is because mm-hmm. that's what because this is what it is. It's a company selling product to the most number of viewers possible. Because right now would be the middle of the workday for most of us. We'll find out soon enough. That is, you know, what has happened here during the Warhammer Fest. And we are gonna take a short break. Yep. And then we will come back with Broken Realms Bellicor. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Brendan, it's time to talk about Mr. Big and Mr. Bad. Mr. Broken Realms Bellicor. Yes. The lore we won't talk about in detail, but I think we're both in agreement that the lore is so... It, it is, is largely impactful to the nature yes. of the game state. It is, a, it is a change maker in terms of the game and the lore itself. I mean, mm-hmm. very impactful to your point. You need to read it or you need to listen to 2 Plus Tough and Doug and listen to his lore videos because he and does he, a great job. Yeah, and if you like what you hear there, he covers it at a top level with enough detail for you to understand what occurs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot more still in the book that he doesn't get into because it's chasing rabbit holes and you know the two plus hours of content that he puts out you know for the book is only a small fraction of all of the details that exist uh, to be consumed absolutely so let's move on to the war scroll first for bellacore talk about him brendan bellacore got a size increase and yes and the rules associated with it really made that change as such so he is now a chart guy Mm -hmm. Uh, he has the monster keyword and as such his table you know impacts his movement his blade of shadows and the wounds characteristic on his spearing tail so he is move 14 down to six with a four up save bravery 10 and 14 wounds Mm -hmm. He was something like eight before. With size, you get some extra wounds. He has three melee profiles. He has the Blade of Shadows, which is a two-inch range, and it's eight attacks down to four. Threes by threes, Ren two, damage two. Wow. So pretty reliable. Really good. His Fell Claw, which is one inch, one attack, threes by threes, Ren one, damage two. His Spearing Tail, which is three-inch range, one attack, twos to hit, and then a table that goes from a one-up down to a five-up. If you still roll one, you fail, right? You know, mm-hmm. one's automatically fail, but it's a one-up so that you can at least take one round of modifiers. Ren three, damage two. He can fly, right? As, <laughs> as I am, I'm sure you would have assumed from looking at the model. So he still does have the Dark Master ability. It works a little bit differently. Which is so great that they preserve this it's yeah so valuable it is worded in such a way that is much easier to manage 
So once per battle, at the start of the enemy hero phase, you can pick one enemy unit on the battlefield until your next hero phase at the start of each phase, including the phase in which the unit was picked, you can roll a dice for that unit. On a 3-up, that unit cannot move, shoot, fight, use command abilities, chant prayers, attempt to cast spells, attempt to dispel endless spells, or attempt to unbind spells in that phase. I have a question right away for you. Mm-hmm. I'm Bellicor, and I choose Marathi. Okay. Now, Marathi is two models. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that this only applies to Big Marathi or Little Marathi or both? I have to pick which model it applies to. to. You have to pick which one. They are independent units. Okay. I could make it a lot harder for Big Marathi to fight or a lot harder for Little Marathi to cast spells. Yes. Essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. But in that case, I have to make a choice. Yes. All right. They are two distinct units. Just wanted to clarify that. He is the Lord of Torment. If any unit fails a Battleshock test while it is within 12 inches of this model, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to this model. Mm-hmm. Nice. Shadow Form. He ignores modifiers, positive or negative, when making save rolls for attacks that target this model. So that 4-up is ethereal, which is great. Mm-hmm. He is a wizard with two casts and two unbinds. His spell, Enfeeble Foe, has a casting value of a 6, mm-hmm. in which you pick one enemy unit within 18 inches of the Cast are invisible to them. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit until your next hero phase. Cool. His price did go up, so he's 380 now, but mm-hmm. he's still alliable in all of your different chaos factions, yep. which is which so. is good. Uh, and he is undivided. Undivided. So anywhere. Yep. And this war scroll replaces the one in the Slaves to Darkness battle tome. Now this next thing, Legion of the First Prince, this was in... Wrath of the Ever Chosen. Wrath of the Ever Chosen. So this is really an expansion and a modification both. Yeah, it it replaces the one in Wrath of the Ever Chosen Mm -hmm. for the rules here in Broken Realms Bellacor. And this is pretty nice. The battle traits, why don't you go over these, because I'm going to be talking my butt off with Night Hunt. So. Yeah, so the way that you take Legion of the First Prince is you have to be playing the Chaos Allegiance. And... You can only have demon key, chaos and demon okay, keywords. So this is chaos and demon. It's not chaos or demon. Correct. So your units have to have both keywords. Right. And you okay. can't be playing corn. You can't be playing zinch. You have to take the chaos allegiance first, and then you take the legion of the first prince sub faction, mm-hmm. which is what this is. Yes. And if you do so, you can only include units with the chaos and demon keywords. So this is a demon army. Yes. Essentially. Okay. Correct. Demons only. If you do that, then you qualify as taking the first Prince Legion. Yes, you do. And in doing so, you <laughs> get the following battle traits. This is so good. There is value here. We'll discuss on how it compares to some other stuff. But sure. the first damn Prince, you can re-roll hits for attacks made by Bellacor while he is within 18 inches of at least one friendly unit from each of the following War Scrolls. And bear in mind, this is War Scrolls, not keywords, which is very important. Bloodletters, Horrors of Zinch, Plague Bearers, and Demonettes. In addition, before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to Bellacor, pick one friendly unit within nine inches of him from one of the following War Scrolls and roll a dice. And again, War Scrolls. Bloodletters, Horrors of Zinch, Plague Bearers, Demonettes. On a four-up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to that unit instead. And that unit still gets their normal saves. Potentially. So this is at the allocation step. So you have already, as you're moving through allocation... Mm-hmm. You roll your intervening dice, and if it's a mortal wound and it gets allocated to a unit that does not have a mortal wound save, then you do not get to roll a mortal wound save against it. So, like, if you are only in range of a bloodletter unit and a mortal wound gets passed off, there is no mortal wound save on that bloodletter. It doesn't get a save. But But if you bump it off to plague bearers, bearers, 
because they have an after save. You do. Okay, yes. great. But they don't get a normal save and then their after save. In other words, the play, the wound goes to a Plague Bearers unit. Mm-hmm. They don't get to roll the regular save and... In the case of a mortal wound, right. no. But a regular wound, they could take both saves. In the allocation, right. yes. To something else other than Bellicor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Cursed Skies. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Battleshock phase, if Bellicor is your general and on the battlefield... Roll a dice for each friendly unit on the battlefield from the following War Scrolls. Again, War Scrolls is important here. Yes. Bloodletters, Horrors of Zinch, Plague Bearers, Demonettes, and Furies. On a 3+, you can return D3 slain models to that unit. But if it is a Horrors unit, you can only return one model to that unit. For each friendly unit. Correct. So if you have six units of Bloodletters, every one of them you're rolling a dice for. Correct. Wow, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really... And I would assume, Brendan, if you're playing this Legion, that it's going to be very thematic, where you're going to have a lots of bodies and a lots of demons on the board. A lot mm-hmm. of one-wound models running around the board. So yep. that's very useful. Then you would have a rule here that pairs very well with Bellacor's Shrug Off, mm-hmm. which is the Infernal Realm Walkers. So you can roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to a friendly Legion of the First Prince unit. On a six-up, that wound or mortal wound is negated. So this is where Plague Bearers still have a little bit more efficiency in having a five-up. But now everything at least has a six Blood up. Blood letters don't have that. Right. You have rolled your four up on Bellacor. Mm-hmm. You've passed off that wound or mortal wound to anybody. But let's just In, instead of Instead first. of just taking the wound, right. you now get to roll your six up to negate it. Bellacor still has a six up, you know, in this instance. But, you know, now you are talking about not losing a wound on the focus of your army. And the support pieces have an additional resiliency on top mm-hmm. of what we just talked about with the Cursed Skies, where you have this attrition value where you can stay in the fight. Very nice. Then you have Unyielding Legions. At the end of your movement phase, you can pick <laughs> one friendly Legion of the First Prince hero that is on the battlefield and roll 3d6. Wow. On a 10+, plus, you can summon one of the following units to the battlefield and add it to your army. The unit that you can summon is determined by the hero's keyword as shown. Corn mm-hmm. is 10 bloodletters. Zinch is 5 horrors of Zinch. Nurgle is 10 plague bearers. Slanesh is 10 demonettes. Bellacor is choose any one of the units or a unit of 6 furies. Now, t- let's go back to the numbers. So 10 is like rolling a 7 on 2 dice. It's, very, it's relatively reliable. It's about 50%. Yeah, so... Yeah, not bad. The summoned unit must be set up wholly within 12 inches of the hero you picked and more than 9 inches from any enemy units. If the unmodified roll included a double, that hero suffers one mortal wound. (laughs) If the unmodified roll was a triple, the hero suffers D3 mortal wounds instead. Okay, fair enough. There's a cost. (laughs) Sure, especially though when you pair it with the rules that you're getting with the Cursed Skies and Infernal Realm Walkers... You could get that back. Being able to put more units on the table is is a sizable advantage. It's huge. Very nice. So those are the battle traits. Yes. So everybody gets them. You also get a spell lore, kind of. Command traits and artifacts, which we'll talk about here in a second. I don't know why you'd take command traits if Bellacor is the one that benefits from being the general most. The spell lore isn't a choice. There's one spell Mm -hmm. in the whole lore. Mm-hmm. And so every wizard in the Legion of the First Prince army knows that spell in addition to any others they know. The Master's Command has a casting value of a 7. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Legion of the First Print unit wholly within 12 inches of that caster and visible them. Until the end of the battle round, if a model from that unit is slain by an attack made with a melee weapon, that model can fight before it is removed from play. Okay. Useful. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I would have liked there to have been you know, a couple more spells, but... 
when you talked about some of your games from the two events last time, you use something like that. And it, yeah, Archeon it was, has, a, has a similar command ability. for you. Very yeah. much so. This is going to be a useful spell. I would have liked to have seen, you know, the ability for every wizard to be able to cast it, you know, kind of like the way that Slanesh does, mm-hmm. or you have access to more and other spells, because otherwise you're just kind of landlocked into, you know, what it is. Okay. As far as command traits go, there's three of them that, mm-hmm. we, that we'll get to pick off from, and it's the, obviously, the Legion of the First Prince General, uh, assuming it's not Bellacor, but... I personally don't know why you yeah. wouldn't take Bellacor as your general. So, Dan, of these three, is there one that you prefer over the others? Yeah, I like the first one. I actually mm-hmm. like Primordial Commander. If you pick this general to summon a unit using unyielding legions, you add one to the die roll. So now that 10 becomes a 9 on three dice. Significant increase in chance of getting that off. You're going to about a 60% chance from a 50%. And so I like that a lot. Nice. Yeah. I quite like the Infernal Charge. You can reroll charge rolls for friendly Legion of the mm. First Prince units wholly within 12 inches of this general. Mm-hmm. The area is large enough. There's a lot of demon units that benefit from you know being able to, to get the charge off. And whenever you're not spending command points... It's you know, good thing. Is very useful. Yep. And then you do have artifacts, which you are going to want to use. Mm-hmm. They're okay. I what guess, you, you know, think? picking between them is the armor of the pack. You can reroll save rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target the bearer. Mm-hmm. Most demon heroes are a four-up save, so... That's very useful. Yes. That makes it essentially a three-up, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. Well, and it's just save. So whenever rend is applied to them, they still get to reroll whatever would normally, quote-unquote, be considered a success. Yep. Which is very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So those are all things for Bellicor. Very nice. I, I like the expansion. I like the modification to the War Scroll. I, I think this is nice. I think it, it op- opens a lot of opportunities for people to get creative and build some lists around him. Yeah. For people who have a lot of demons and they like to play the idea of the army together... I think there is probably some combination of demon units. Now, I don't know that you'd have it split up, you know, equally all four ways through the army. Right. But you can probably pick, you know, two of the different colors of demon Mm -hmm. and be able to put together a relatively effective battle plan. If about half your army is, you know, Zinch and the other half is Nurgle, you probably have a pretty reliable army. Sure. And then... All right. (laughs) My turn. (laughs) Yeah, the big winners of this book... From a rules perspective, yes, I think is Nighthawk. I can't argue at all. Okay. I would be a fool to argue that. One of the things that we get, we finally get sub-factions for Nighthawk. We get two of them, which is something you know I have always asked for, mm-hmm. whatever and, it is. And so for Nighthawk, they're called processions. Correct. So and you get two of those. Yep. And you got an updated War Scroll in the Dreadscythe Herodons. You got a new War Scroll in the Cruciator. And then you get a battalion associated with the box. Yes. Which... We'll talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about overall what I, with both of these, we've got the Emerald Host mm-hmm. and we've got Reikoners Condemned. Basically, what these have done, Brendan, is taken battalions from the Nighthawk Battle Tome and made them free. Yes. They function almost the same way as battalions, and we'll talk about which ones, but you're getting them for nothing. And that is just amazing that you can have this benefit. Now, it does. As we talk through them, it's going to not force you, but it's going to make you really think about what kind of an army you build. Because to use either one of these processions, you really have to focus mm-hmm. on a certain unit type to get the maximum benefit from these. Sure. So the first one is the Emerald Host. Now let's clarify this. Remember in White Dwarf a while ago? I do. We got the Emerald Host, which was the kind of mega 
battalion and then we get the two smaller battalions this procession is called the emerald host and it really functions like the dolorous guard which you was know, the hex wraith battalion right the way this works is we've got first of all the ability the first ability is really good with this one after armies are set up before the first battle run you can pick one enemy hero for the duration of the battle subtract one from save rolls for t- attacks that target that hero that's any hero mm-hmm. that's really good that's really, really nice. So all of a sudden, your four up heroes on the table are five up. But this is a good way to get, you know, somebody's very tanky hero. Yes. That is a three up or a two up to a more manageable Correct. number. And you get this for nothing. You just pick somebody that you think is going to Now, granted, threat. this wouldn't uh, work against something like Bellacore, who ignores mod- modifiers positive Correct. or negative. If you're ethereal, it doesn't matter. Right. right. But there are plenty that are not. The next one is... The most important piece here. Yeah, and Knights of Regret, which, I mean, we've all had. <laughs> so we add one to the attacks characteristics of melee weapons used by Emerald Host X-Rays, units that have made a charge in the uh, same turn. Mm-hmm. In addition, roll a dice before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to your general if they're within three inches, within, just within, yep. three inches of any friendly Emerald Host X-Rays unit. On a two-up, you have to allocate that wound or mortal wound to one of those units instead. What are you doing? So, And you don't have to put it on a Linder. You could put it on Raikonur. You could put it on any hero you want. Whoever is your general. Yes. That is so powerful for, let's just say, a Lady O. Recent play, let's say in the last six months, I've realized you have to be more aggressive with her to be able to get what you put into her. Mm -hmm. And this allows you to be more aggressive and to get here closer in. Because if you just take five hex rays, you have all of a sudden added, mathematically, eight wounds that have a four-up, six-up save to her. That's very powerful. She's now a 15-wound unit. What more could you ask for for her? I mean, that's really good. And her four and the four-up save, both units have a four-up save, is ethereal. And everybody gets a six-up after save. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice, Brendan. Makes her much, much more reliable. To get, and to get in there and it's like, you know, you, you put three mortal wounds on me, whatever, or, you know, you, you hack at me and do six wounds or whatever it is, or, hey, that's fine. I'll just put it on these guys. And that's just five hex rays. It's 120 points, 130 points. Oh, yeah, sure. To make her that much more survivable, sign me up. And that's great. Or you could put it on Rykonor, which would be really good because then they're fast. The one thing that Lady O does take away from those hex rays is it kind of negates their speed unless she's running every turn which in my army she would be she's running or you use your teleport to you could to be upfield early and then you either teleport the hex rates with her or you move them up to the position in which uh, she's going to be occupied or you could put them off the board i mean there's so many options here but it's really really good so this is after your save rolls have been made but if i just i'm just a regular old unit Mm -hmm. and i allocate wounds can those hex rays take their four up as well as their six up? No, no they can't because no. this is essentially this is an after. Save. This so this has occurred after hit, wound, save, and determining damage has occurred. Okay. So you know, let's say it was D three, right? So and they roll the two. You're going to treat this as though you failed your your armor, armor save. save. Yeah, this is when this applies, same as what we just talked about with the first damned prince in Correct. the infernal realm. So walkers. unless you have an after save, this isn't going to really benefit you. Correct, but oh, right. this is Night Haunt, so... So you have the six-up after six. Right. right. Very good. Okay. And and just like in Bellacore, everything in that army has a six-up. Six-up. So at minimum, you're going to be able to be rolling a six-up against this. Now, if you have the Rykonor Battalion, where mm-hmm. those Blade Geists are a five-up, that's where that would apply. But this is specifically to right. Hex Wraiths. Right. So the Hex Wraiths would only get their six-up against whatever is allocated their direction from... Right 
whoever the general Thank is. You. Good. So now let's move on to command traits. Lord of the Host. Mm-hmm. Once per battle, you can use the command ability on this general's war scroll without a command point being spent. Just like you talked about, if you can get a free command point, which essentially this is, you take it. And normally there is some penalty to taking like whatever the sub-factions are where you're forced into a command trait or an artifact, mm-hmm. you know, things of that nature. There's not really a big penalty in the Emerald Host or, in my opinion, Rykenor is Condemned. So for a command trait that you're forced to take? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, yeah. That one's fine. Yeah. And then we have the Traitor Knight's Blade. Add one to attack characteristics of the bear's sword of stolen hours. That would be if the Knight of Shrouds has this. Because only yeah. the Knight of Shrouds has that weapon. So mm-hmm. the Knight of Shrouds would have to be somebody you give an artifact to. Right. So the first Emerald Host Knight of Shrouds to receive an artifact of power must be given the Traitor Knight's Blade. But if you have no Knight of Shrouds in your army... But if you don't give a Knight of Shrouds an artifact... You can give somebody else a artifact. Correct. Right. You are not obligated to, to give, give a Knight of Shrouds That's an artifact. That's what I was thinking. Yep. If you do want to give a Knight of Shrouds an artifact, the first artifact that you must has give... Has to be this one. Ha- correct. Has to be the Traitor's Knight's Blade. Okay. So this sub-faction is interesting, right? You know, Because it revolves primarily around Hex Wraiths, and the Hex Wraiths then protecting whoever the general is. Yes. Makes the people who usually are pretty squishy, not squishy anymore. Correct. Much more survivable. Okay, so next we have Rykonor's Condemned. And this essentially is for you if you want to play a lot of Chain Wraths. Or if you want to play some, Grave Stalkers. For some unbeknownst reason, you want to play Stalkers. God bless you if you do. Anyway, so let's assume that you're going to play a lot of Chain Wraths. This basically, Brendan, combines two battalions, the Condemned and the Chain Guard, which combined have a cost of 260 points. One's 140, one's 120. And these are some of the most popular and purchased battalions in Nighthawk. They are. The requirements are essentially the same, and the benefits are essentially the same. So for first one, you can reroll failed hit rolls for attacks made by friendly Rykoners Condemned Chain Wraths, or stalkers while they're within 15 inches of any friendly holy within 15 holy holy within 15 which is just out of the night haunt book of any spirit torment or chain gas that are in this this particular procession yeah, okay fine and they're exactly what's in your battle tome uh, for that battalion in addition each time you get off the spectral, spectral lure, lure you can take 2d6 instead of 1d6 to get models back uh, n- no. Well, you get you can return D6 slain models in addition to any models returned. Right, by the Spectral, spectral Lure. lure. So because the Spectral Lure goes off, you roll a D6, and then you get an additional D6 here. Mm-hmm. So it's two D6 that you're going to be able to get back. Right, because the other spell that you can use here is Temporal Translocation Spell, right. which is a spell associated with a model that you can no longer purchase and is illegal in the game of Warhammer. Yes. So in, in match play terms. So when you're reading, if you read through this and you see that, you're going, what is the Temporal Translocation? spell forget it's about a misprint. it because that it's model is so good and i'm very angry about it dan and most people are who were unable to get it and can't use the rules so it is very good 2d6 back that's an average of seven models yeah mm-hmm. let's take that that's what you get you get two battalions for nothing very nice yeah for just showing up and again that's all your chain rasps Mm-hmm. You this again, and don't forget all of your grave grave rate stalkers too. <laughs> if I was going to come up with a crazy list, and this is perfect for just taking some huge bricks of chain rasps. Okay, another benefit here is acolyte of the grim hailer. So if Rykenor is included in your army, he's treated as a general. So you can have two generals in your army. Very nice. Yeah, it, this just a nice benefit. There's not too much there attached to it, right? 
other than the bubble from command abilities are radiated out as well as being able to use the command ability of Night Haunts where you can teleport to your general. So you can make your Dreadblade Harrow your general, and if you have Rykonor, you can teleport units to two different locations. And, you know, Dan, you've talked about in your game recaps recently how valuable the ability to just be in multiple positions at the same time is. It's amazing. It's so much more ab- uh, ability to be mobile. So Now, granted, you do end up with quite a bit of command point spend in and around that. But you, Absolutely. You have to have them available, obviously. The next thing is command ability, which it's is death really comes swiftly. Yep. It's so oh, good. Oh, this is amazing, too. You can use this command ability at the start of your movement phase. If you do, pick one chain rasp, horde, or stalker's unit that is wholly within 12 inches of a hero or 18 inches of a general. Wow, that's a 36-inch bubble right there. Mm-hmm. Add six inches to the unit's move characteristic. Until you the now, end of that phase. You have 20 chain rafts that can move 12 inches. And run. And run and charge. Well, they can't run and charge. Well, they can't run and charge, true. Yeah. Yes. Okay, oops. <laughs> But you are talking about a between 13 and 18 inch move on top of if you have the pendant of the fell wind. Another three inches. Another Exactly. So now it's 16 to 21 inches. You are able to go and use that unit and set a line a lot further up than you might be able to later in the game. So you can go and teleport, you know, a unit down and block off a space, or you can use this late game to go back to an objective that your opponent didn't think that you were going to maybe have access to. Sure. Very nice, man. It's excellent. There is a lot of flexibility so far in what we've seen. Yep. Now, the last one is the artifact of power. I'm not really excited about this one. See, that's Uh, interesting, though. I really like the way that this one shook out. And let's talk about it. Once per battle, in your hero phase or combat phase, the bear can snuff out a corpse candle. If they do, in your hero phase, pick the bear or one enemy model within 12 inches of them. The model you pick suffers one mortal wound. If the mortal wound was suffered by an enemy model, add one to the bearer's casting roll. If the mortal wound was suffered by the bearer, add three. This is Rykonor's rule, basically. Mm-hmm. This is yes. what he gets. But Except you can this give is, this, this to is once per battle, to and you can give this to anybody any hero. who is a wizard. In any hero, any, any hero. hero. Okay, because I was wondering as I was reading this where this is going, right? Yeah. Because you know, I know that the corpse candle is. Uh, Rykonor's rule and right. it said you can give it to any hero and you can use it in the hero phase or the combat phase and I said to myself why on earth would I use this in the combat phase but then that next paragraph Dan if the bearer snuffs out the corpse candle in the combat phase pick the bearer or an enemy model within 12 inches of them same thing you know you one mortal wound one mortal wound you can add one to hit rolls if it was the end if it was an enemy model or one to hit and wound rolls if it was the bearer yep I really like this artifact. I'm normally not too keen on once per battle things. Mm -hmm. I'm not either, which is why I'm not. Here's where I think the difference is. Okay. In the context of this sub-faction, this artifact has a lot of value, particularly on your wizards. Mm -hmm. Because when pairing it with, you know, what is effectively the free battalion to do 2d6 models back is a casting value of a 7. You put this on a guardian. You put this on a guardian of souls. You get plus 3 to your cast. You only need a six already. For a very critical time when you need to make that roll. Or you're potentially playing against somebody who has a lot of dispelling power. This is going to help you potentially overcome that because you need 2d6 of these guys to come back. You need to have a hand, like to take that 20 that is now down to five chain rafts. You're hoping for another seven, eight, nine. And this is the way to kind of assure that. The combat phase one, I'm not super in love with. The first part of this, 
I thought about it, and the only people you really can give that to is guardians. They're the ones who are the they're the only really other wizards who you can give an artifact to in the uh, Nighthaunt faction. Well, you don't have to give it to a wizard. No, but you can only use the the wizard cast, part of it. You can only use the casting role part of it right. on and, a wizard. So that's so, what I'm saying. And so that's what I'm saying with the combat phase part. Right. I don't super love it because when you think about your most combaty characters in Nighthaunt, it's a Knight of Shrouds on Ethereal Steed. Or Kurdos if you're playing Kurdos. Well, but you can't give it to him because he's, he's named. named. Yeah. Right? So you give this to your Knight of Shrouds on Ethereal Steed. You're a two-up, two-up. Cool, I guess. If you are in that spot where you need that to go off anyways... You have no... In this army, that's why I don't like this part of it, Brendan. Mm. In this army, even Lady O or even Raikonor, their attacks are okay. But they're not going to really beat something to death. And so using it for this isn't really worthwhile because you're not engaging. You don't want to, in a Nightheart army, engage your your heroes in close combat. You don't want them to be there. You want them in asymmetrical combats where you are at a significant advantage and their inclusion is to support the units that are going to be doing the work or that your hero is the one that is going to be the tipping point in that combat. So this is the part of it I don't like is the combat part. The Mm. other part, absolutely, to your point, putting it on a guardian would be so useful. And, And getting that... Because you know, how many times, Dan, have you rolled the spectral lore oh. in time and place and, and you know you needed your six or whatever it is? No way. And you rolled a four plus three. It narrows your window of failure significantly. Or I rolled, you know, I rolled a seven, but somebody else rolled a ten because they were plus two or plus three. Sure. Yeah. And and to that same point, this can put it into a place where it becomes unbindable. Ununbindable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Through conventional means. Sure. You're rolling a nine or better, it's going to be almost impossible to unbind it. Yeah, yeah unless Nagash or Croak is sitting right, at the table, exactly. right? You know, then, or you have somebody who can an auto-scroll. Right. But you wouldn't be using this until you know that person used that auto-unbind, or you wanted to use this to force that out of your opponent's hand because you had another spell that you wanted to Agreed. cast. And I think this really has me, and as crazy as it is, Brendan, you could have almost an entire Chain Rasp army here. Mm-hmm. And it would benefit from all of this. Now, you'd have to have t- heroes spread out so that they're benefiting you know, from the procession. But man, it would make it so powerful. I think your list as presently constructed yeah. would benefit from being condemned. You know, There's an Emerald Host list that I think you can, mm-hmm. that you can build to. Sure. But if you did nothing today, you are playing in Raikonur's Condemned. You take, you know, I don't think you have a battalion right now. You just take this procession and your army is already better. Mm-hmm. Your army is already probably a win better by just, you know, when you're talking about a a five-game tournament sample size, by just having access to this. Now, you would make some changes because you probably do want to include Raikonur. You do probably want to keep your Dreadblade Harrow as your general. Mm -hmm. And one of the benefits to being the Condemned army is you are not forced to take a different command trait. So you can still have the the, the Lord of the Spirit hosts. Correct. Which gives you that healing element to it, which is great. And maybe you'd consider something else because your healing is already improved by just existing. Sure. It would also make me think about taking some 20, more 20s, more units of 20 chain rasps instead of the little 10s mm-hmm. because they would benefit for sure. I thought, you know, at first Emerald Host, get some hex rays in there, put them with Lady O, 
And that's really the only change they need to make. And that still makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she could become much more utilitarian. And there will be something in here that we'll talk about in just a minute that I think will frame Emerald Host a little bit more interestingly in the same way that Reikonor's Condemned is framed. Okay. Absolutely. So, so yeah, good stuff. Both of them are very good. If dishes. you are a Nighthaunt player, you should already be excited. And we have new things still <laughs> to talk about. Let's Before we talk about the... War Scrolls. Let's talk about the battalion and get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. This is the Saramore Choir. And it's Lady O, one unit of Herodans, two units of Miramorn Banshees. Roll a dice before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to the Lady Olinder from this battalion. If she's within three inches of any other units from the same battalion on a two-up, you may you must allocate a wound or mortal wound to one of those units instead. Wounds and mortal wounds that are allocated in that way cannot be negated. So this means that you don't get your Night Haunt You save. get no after save. You're basically just pulling models, period. But these are wounds that are not being applied to Lady O. That is correct. Just like Emerald Host, except mm-hmm. you can't slough off the wounds. Yeah. yeah. Read that next rule for me, and I'm going to tell you why this being included in an Emerald Host basically makes Lady O undefeatable. Yeah. If this War Scroll Battalion is included in a Nighthawk Nighthawk army, army, Lady Olander is treated as a general in addition to the model that is chosen in your army to be a general. So I would have my Harrow, and I would have Lady O as a general. You'd have your Harrow, and you'd have Lady O as your general, and she'd be accompanied by models from this battalion and units of hex wraiths. Two rules that apply simultaneously allow you to decide the order in which they are applied. You would effectively get two two two-ups to pass wounds off. One to the unit of hex race that is protecting Lady O, and one to the unit of handmaidens that are around So after you checked for your hex raid wounds, you would then check for your... Dreadblades wounds. I don't see a reason why you can't. Okay. This isn't a save. These are just two rules that are being applied That's simultaneously. That's insane. And if you have somebody to bring models back, Brendan, I just thought about it. Now, this just popped into my head. She would have almost an unlimited supply of wounds. Correct. She would almost be unkillable. And right, so I would roll the two ups for Emerald Host first mm-hmm. because those are ones that you get saves to. Sure. Any of the two ups that you miss there would be rolls that I would make to the handmaidens mm-hmm. so that Lady O would basically be free and clear of taking damage. Mm-hmm. That's pretty insane. But you can only do that by taking this battalion because she's also treated as a general because the Emerald Host battalion is the one for general. Correct. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. There we go. Now, in in FAQ, you'd come out and tell me that you can't use those rules in the same space. But right now, you're looking at two abilities that would occur in, you know, a simultaneous position. Sure. You have not gone to the full allocation step Mm -hmm. yet, and it's not a save. Correct. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's something to think about for sure. Which is why I was saying, you know... The Emerald Host is okay, but it requires, obviously, you know... This battalion to make it... Right. You either need to build something specifically for Emerald Host, or if you want to include Lady O and get some of the benefits that you get from the Contemned, you you have a battalion that has to do so. Okay. Okay, now let's talk about these wonderful new... Well, one modified and one new War Scrolls. We got the Dreadside Inheritance, which the models, whatever, we we don't need to talk about the models. Yeah. So... They have an eight-inch move, one wound, four-up save, ten mm-hmm. bravery. They have one-inch range on their side limb, three attacks, four by threes, minus one, one damage. Slasher Crone, one in every five models, gets one attack extra. Very nice. So a unit of ten would get 32 attacks. That's pretty good. Yeah. Reliable. And they're, of course, ethereal because they're night haunt. Now, Harrowing Street. And this is a subtle change that most people won't notice, but it is enormous. Subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by enemy models with a bravery characteristic of less than seven. That number used to be six. While they're within 
three inches of any units with this ability. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be in combat already. You're minus one to your bravery because you're within distance of a night haunt. So you're already at minus one. So that means that armies in Sigmar that have a bravery of seven or less, which is many armies, Brendan. We just talked about that. Ideneth daughters have mostly seven. Mm -hmm. A lot of chaos units have seven that you see on the table. That means all of those units now before with that six, they would not have been minus one to hit. So now these Herodons are minus one to hit almost across the board. Yeah, and I think the important word that wasn't included in this is unmodified bravery mm-hmm. characteristic of seven. Okay. So that means that you can apply modifiers. Now, as a player, it's important to remember when modifiers are applied. Some of your bravery modifiers apply only in the battle shock phase. Right. There are some rules that do that. There are a number of them, though, that are just universal in regards to when your bravery is decreased. So for Night Haunt, just to read it, it's Mm -hmm. subtract one for the bravery characteristic of the enemy units while they're within six inches of any friendly Night Haunt unit, period. It does not specify a particular phase of the game. Right. So, right, that's a good one to have clarity on, right? So you are automatically handing out minus one. When you are looking to make benefit of the Herodons, you as a player are going to want to check to make sure when your negative bravery modifier applies. Right. Because you can obviously stack negative bravery modifiers presently to, Mm -hmm. you know, if you are minus two, you know, you can bring something that is eight bravery down to below seven mm-hmm. instead of even the seven because the Herodon rule specifically is enemy models with a bravery characteristic of less than seven. So that mm-hmm. number needs to be six or fewer. Correct. But it allows you to reach further out, Correct. right? Yep. So, so that is a really, really good change. It makes them worth considering. Now, the other thing that, you know, we can, we'll talk about this a little bit, which is better, but the old rule here for murderous bloodlust was... They basically got, on wound rolls of six, they got two damage. Mm -hmm. This one is unmodified hit rolls for an attack made with side limbs is six, exploding hits. So now they score two hits instead of one on sixes. I like this better. And I went through and did the math, and this is actually better. Well, it's good because they cost more points now. Yeah, of course. But the other thing with this is that I have to, I can't help myself compare these guys to Blake Geis. And I think they are, for a lot of reasons, on par with Blade Geist. I really do. You know, you have Retreat and Charge for Blade Geist, Mm -hmm. but you also have minus one to hit for this unit that you don't have on the Blade Geist. You have one less attack here. Remember, the Blade Geist get plus one if they charge. But if they don't charge, they don't get the plus one. These guys are always at three attacks. You also have exploding sixes here on hits, which makes up for that lack of plus one attack. Now, they you don't know, have the re-rolls they don't that, have, that the Blade guys have. They don't get re-rolls of everything when they're within distance of the Spirit Host, but they do get re-rolls of one. The spirit Torment. Spirit Torment. Yeah. They do get re-rolls of one still. I think... But re-rolling it, everything versus re-rolling ones on a four-up to hit are... Right. It puts you at, it puts you at 60% versus 80% for the, for the other guys. Mm-hmm. But again, when I did the math, it was just a couple less hits. But I think they're worth... I definitely think they're worth considering, especially because of their survivability. And I think when I look at where I have my Blade Geist a lot of times, having them at minus one to hit would have preserved enough models that they could have gone that extra round, you know, and they would have still been viable. You know, I might have had six or seven models left instead of two or three. I agree. I agree with that sentiment that they do have a, a place that is worth at least considering. Yeah, I think to give them a try and see how they do. 
And I think I would take them just like the Blade guys in units of 15 or 20. Give that a try and see how that works out. Mm. Okay, so there's something to consider. Now we got the new guy, the Cruel Gas Cruciator. Yes, sir. Great model. Uh, Six-inch moves, six wounds. Six wounds, interesting, you know, instead of five. Four-up save. 10 Bravery has a missile weapon attack and a melee attack. The missile weapon, which is very important here, is Phantasmal Torture. 12-inch range, 4 attacks, 3 by 3 minus 2, 1 damage. Mm-hmm. And the Talons and Flensing Knives, 1 attack, 4 or four attacks, 1-inch range, 3 by 3 minus 1, 1 damage. Now, he can fly, of course. He has Ethereal, of course. He's Night Haunt. But Powering Excruciation, and this is... Or could be. Has a great potential to be amazing. This is a significant rule. If any wounds inflicted by this model's phantasmal torture are allocated to an enemy model and not negated. So it doesn't mean you kill something. It means you just put a wound on them. You gotta do a wound. Okay. And at four attacks, three by threes, minus two rend, there's a good chance you're going to get to something. It's reliable, yes. It is. This model becomes empowered until your next shooting phase. The Deathless Spirits battle trait negates wounds allocated to friendly Night Haunt units wholly within 12 of any empowered Cruciator on a 5-up instead of a 6-up. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, Night Haunt units have a 5-up save instead of a 6-up, which is the rule from Shroudguard as a battalion. Yes. That is what that Knight of Shrouds did. The thing that's significant and important to clarify here is it states explicitly wounds. It does not include mortal wounds. So right. what this rule does is it gives you a five up against you know your death save for regular wounds. You still retain your six up against mortal wounds. Okay. So this doesn't give you a five up after save is what you're saying. It gives you a split. It gives you a five up against wounds that are caused by conventional weapons. Okay. But you retain your six up against mortal wounds. So Deathless Spirit's battle trait mm-hmm. is under normal conventions a six up versus when you allocate wounds or mortal wounds to that unit. Mm -hmm. His rule states explicitly wounds, which is the same language as that used in the Hagnar battle traits for the Cauldron, which spelled out explicitly wounds on a five-up, which was FAQ'd to clarify that that is the conventional state. This wording is identical to that. So you would retain a five-up versus regular wounds, you know, caused by most of the weapons in Age of Sigmar. So you'd have your regular armor save. A four up, let's assume. Four up. It's a damage two weapon. It doesn't cause mortal wounds. You'd get to roll two five ups if they are in range of an empowered cruciator. Now, if that hammer it does two mortal wounds because it rolled a six on the wound roll, okay. you would only get your six up. Okay. Again, I'm trying to understand mm-hmm. this. That's that's so great. I appreciate you going through this. Let us assume I get he has uh, five wounds that come through. Yes. Regular wounds. Five regular wounds. Okay. I'm going to roll four ups. So you are told that you have five saves to make. And I'm going to roll f- I'm five. Gonna roll five dice. I'm going to roll three four ups, which are right. my normal save. Yep. Two got past me. Correct. I can roll a five up now in addition to the four up. Well, so then you would have to consider the damage of that weapon. Right. Right. So let's say they're damage one. Okay. So then you would roll two dice. They're not mortal wounds. So this would be five ups. Okay. If they were two damage, I would roll four dice and any five ups would reduce the damage. Correct. Okay. This is not a death save. Well, it's your same rule. Okay. But it only applies to regular wounds. Correct. It doesn't apply to mortal wounds. Right. Okay. To get back. (laughs) I know listeners are going, Dan, it's really simple. So what we're saying here, the rule would read, if you are within 12 inches of a cruciator, Mm -hmm. You get a five up after save against wounds Correct. and a six up 
So he still right. hands out that battle trait bubble. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have a choice between which rules you're going to be okay. using. That's really powerful, though, Brendan. Now that we got to that part, we understand it now. Yeah. Dan understands it. You're talking about a 100% increase in passing Deathless Spirits battle traits against regular wounds, which is overwhelmingly the number of dice in which you are going to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. It makes no change to your mortal wounds, but those are, in many cases, the rarer dice condition that you have to be concerned about. A 100% increase in success rates is sizable. That is enormous. Brendan, you talked about how crazy it would be if you took the Saramore Inquirer with the Emerald Host, mm-hmm. if you added a Cruciator in there and he was empowered, oh my God, oh, it, it would truly be That's probably difficult. overkill. The, <laughs> it yeah. would truly be difficult to even touch her. Oh my gosh, that's just crazy. Well, thank you for going through that. And listeners, thank you for bearing with me. And I just want to understand, and now I do, and now I can go forward and mm-hmm. do great things with my ghost. And, and if that's not correct, there will be an FAQ that is going to spell that out in the present state of, okay. of affairs. That is how that rule, uh, to my understanding, would be interpreted. Okay, thank you. All right, we're going to move on from Night Haunt. Just wonderful, wonderful news for Night Haunt. A lot of options and a lot of things to think about as you're putting lists together from here on in with these guys. Mm-hmm. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon. And all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Okay, let's talk about the other factions that got stuffs. And let's start with the KOs. Yes. I really like what Caradron Overlords got here. Okay. So the first set of things that, that you have are, you have Guild Triumphs specifically, which is when you're talking about Aether Gold and Aether Shares that the Caradron Overlords factions have, it allows them to pick a Triumph. Now, that used to mean that there were six triumphs that they were able to pick from. In General's Handbook 2020, it brought it back down to three, mm-hmm. which meant that the Caradron Overlords had fewer things to spend on, and it became uh, kind of towards useless for the heroes to have their Aether shares. There wasn't really a ton that they were going to be using it for. Mm-hmm. So this is something that gives you some choices. So you have three blocks here and that are based around the different kinds of heroes. Okay. So the first one is a guild trial triumph for Aether Chemists. Okay. So if you are going to spend an Aether share, your chemist can pick from the three conventional ones, hits, wounds, or saves, or these two that are uh, listed here. The first of which is Overcharged Aetheric Augmentation. Once per battle, before a friendly Aether Chemist uses their Aethermatic or their Aetheric Augmentation ability, you can say that it is overcharged. If you do so, you can instead pick one friendly Skyfarer's unit, wholly within 18 inches of this model, if that model has the Chemist Supreme Command trait, you can instead pick two friendly Skyfarer wow. units wholly within 12, 18 inches of this model. Wow. In both cases, the ability can be used even if the Aether Chemist is part of a garrison, but only on a Skyfarer's units that are part of the same garrison as the Aether Chemist. Okay. All right. All right. The, you have to be in a very niche situation to want to use that. Okay, that's very specific. Mm. <laughs> yeah. it, it's very specific. You're probably not going to use it a ton. Uh, then you have the large caliber augmentation. Once per battle, when a friendly sky vessel that has an Aether Chemist in its garrison is picked to shoot, you can say that it will perform large caliber augmentation. If you do so, <laughs> pick one a missile weapon that the sky vessel is armed with. You can reroll wound rolls of one for attacks made with that weapon until the end of that phase. Wow. Okay. This is good uh, in the sense of you can only use one Aether share per phase. If you have already used your Aether share that is on your boats, you know, you typically have picked hits or wounds already, or maybe you are in a situation where you pick saves. This is an ability that lets you 
be more reliable at some point. It's not a be all end all, but it is another card in your deck that you can you know that you can play at some point in time to make yourself more reliable. Okay. The guild triumphs for your navigators. Yeah, this this looks nice. Yeah, like the first one especially. So focused aether sight is once per battle before a friendly etheric navigator attempts to dispel an endless spell or unbind a spell. You can say that they will focus their aether sight. If you do so, you can re-roll that dispelling roll or unbinding roll. Wow, that's very good. The thing about it that I don't love is that you have to do it before you roll the dice. Mm -hmm. However, there are situations where you know that that dice roll is high and you probably are going to want to take a second crack at it potentially. And since you can only use one per phase, how many of these are you going to be using in your enemy hero phase to unbind a spell? And how many Aether shares are you going to be using in your own phase to dispel an endless spell? Right. Pretty few. Yeah, and this is only once per battle anyway. Correct. Yeah. So if you have a navigator, this is, again, a nice bit of flexibility that you keep in your pocket. Okay. Expanding your ability to use rules, you know, okay. for things that you already have that, you know, lost some, some rules with an addition change. Okay. Uh, the second one is Ride the Storm. Once per battle before a friendly etheric navigator that is a Sky Vessel's garrison uses their Aether Storm ability, you can say that they will ride the storm. If you do so, add D6 inches of that Sky Vessel's move characteristic until the end of that turn. You can re-roll run and charge rolls for that Sky Vessel until the end of that turn. You probably don't want to be charging your Sky Vessel in general, but re-rolling the run rolls isn't bad because you can only pick up and move if you haven't suffered a number of wounds. So this is something late game where if you have suffered a number of wounds to that ship and you can't use the teleport, this is something that is going to allow you to reposition more successfully. So both of them for the Navigator, I, I think, have value situationally. The Guild Triumphs for the Engineers Guild, the second one I love and is very exciting. The first one is okay. It's called the Gaffer's Motivation. Once per battle in your hero phase, you can pick one friendly Endron Master and say that you will motivate their apprentices. <laughs> if you do so, that Endron Master can use their By Grungy I Have My Eye on You command ability without a command point being spent, and you can add one to the number of wounds healed by the Endron Riggers unit. Situational, it's a free command point. It's something, it's on a character that you probably weren't going to be spending their Aether Gold much on. It's all right. The second one here I love. <laughs> Blow the magazine. Yeah, that's great. Once per battle, when a friendly Sky Vessel that has an Endron Master in its garrison is destroyed, before you roll to see if its models in its garrison are slain, you can say that the Endron Master will blow the magazine. If you do so, roll a dice. On a 1, nothing happens. On a 2 through 3, each enemy unit within 3 inches of that Sky Vessel suffers 1 mortal wound. On a 4 through 5, each enemy unit within 3 inches of that Sky Vessel suffers D3 mortal wounds. There we go. On a 6, each enemy unit within 3 inches of that Sky Vessel suffers D6 mortal wounds. (laughs) Then, roll to see if garrison models are slain, set up survivors, and remove the Sky Vessels from play as described in the Flying Transports roll. (laughs) So... The way I picture this one... Bonsai! ...is your ship is toast... You know you are going to die in your opponent's turn if you do nothing else. Yes. So you take your turn, you move up, you shoot all your guns, and then you charge with that boat with the Endron Master on it, and you tag as many units as possible. Now, you could roll one and nothing's going to happen, or you roll a two through three, (laughs) and everybody takes a mortal wound, which is okay, or you roll a four through five, and everybody takes D3, which can, you know, late game, peel off a hero, finish off a unit, Good. you know, pull another model, which forces a battle shock test that is more likely to fail. Or you roll that six and you just 
decimate a good chunk of things. Now you have equal odds of doing D6s, you do nothing. That middle spot, you basically have a four up to do a sizable amount of damage. I love not only what this rule does, but thematically the position that it puts you in. It's like freaking kamikaze. That's what it is. Yeah. (laughs) It's... Oh my gosh. It's crazy. I think it's a fun rule. I think it adds some stuff to the game. I think that this is maybe the best one uh, because most lists are going to include an engine master. Just about every engine master is going to be on a boat. If I learned anything, it's boats die easy when you get your hands on them. And so if you can survive and, and get to where you need to go, then... Sure. Yeah, it's worth a try, right? 100, 100%. You can use this to potentially clear off the last bits of an objective and, and call it a day. Yeah, there you go. So they got a battalion, which is based on the box set that you can buy. I think it's a box set with some good value and repeatable value as well, but probably only two or three times max. Okay. Drongon's Aether Runners which is one Endron Master with Dirigible Suit and two Endron Masters or Skywardens in any combination. So the Endron Master is named. Well, place. yes, so we're getting to that part. So all units from this battalion must have the Barrack Zilfin keyword, and the Endron Master with Dirigible Suit from this battalion is a unique named character. Yeah. So that means that you can't give them artifacts Correct. and command traits. So this unit gains the ability Fastest Vessels in the Fleet, You add three inches of the move characteristics of units in this battalion. In addition, at the start of your movement phase, for each unit in this battalion, you can pick one friendly Sky Vessel unit that is within three inches of that unit. You cannot pick the same Sky Vessel more than once in the same phase. Add three inches of the move characteristic of that Sky Vessel unit until the end of that phase. Oh. It's all right. There we go. It's a battalion. You get a command trait. You get an artifact. You get an additional... Three um, inches of movement. You get an additional three inches of movement, and you get another great engine work. I know the value of that from having the pendant. Mm-hmm. Having the extra three inches is very, very useful. So, good. Good stuff. Yeah, some good rules for KO. Uh, are they world-breaking and game-changing? Not really, but... They just sound like fun. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, so we got four endless spells that are now bound. Correct. Okay. Their rules are identical. This is for Seraphon. Yeah. Yes. Right, so... The difference is, is that they can only be cast by Seraphon Wizards... But their rules, as presented in the War Scrolls in uh, Forbidden Power, are exactly exactly the same. same. And the four spells are Loshan the Soul Seeker, Mm -hmm. the Soul Screen Bridge, the Horror Ghast, and the Shards of Valangar. Those are the ones. Yeah. Okay. But in addition to some more bound spells, they did get a battalion. Yeah, let's of, talk about that. Of beasties, yeah. So we have one Stegadon. It's the Celestial Stampede. Mm-hmm. We have one Stegadon with a Skink Chief who is named. One Engine of the Gods or Stegadon and one Bastilladon. The Stegadon with Skink Chief from this battalion is a unique named character. All units in this battalion must have the Thunder Lizard keyword. So what does that mean, Brendan? So what that means is, so the trove of old technology command ability in Thunder Lizards Mm -hmm. is the command ability that you can spend a command point to fire the laser on the Bastilladon again, Mm -hmm. or trigger the engine of the gods mount thingy Mm -hmm. an additional time. Okay. So if you are going to use this lance of cosmic power you are foregoing that ability for the units in this battalion for that shooting phase. Okay, so let's talk about the two abilities. One is Ancient Telepotech. <laughs> the Star Warden Ikto has the Prime Warbeast command trait from Battletone Seraphon, even if he's not your general. 
Fine. Okay. Neat. Good stuff. And then we have Lance of Cosmic Power. Once per battle at the start of your shooting phase, you can say that this battalion is going to shoot a Lance of Cosmic Power. If you do so, you cannot make cosmic engine rolls for units from the battalion in that phase, and you cannot use the trove of old technology, that's what you talk about, yep. command ability. Instead, you pick one enemy unit within 24 inches of the Star Warden, Ikto, mm-hmm. roll one dice for each engine of the gods from this battalion that is within 24 inches of that enemy unit, and roll two dice for each Bastillodon armed with a solar engine from this battalion that is within 24 inches of that unit. For each two up, the enemy suffers D3 mortal wounds. Okay. What are you going to get? Three, probably? Yeah. Based on the combination. You'll get one, and then you get two more, maybe? Yeah. So maybe 3D3? Yeah. So this will give you maybe six mortals on average? Okay. It doesn't seem like... the only way to kill that target is via mortal wounds, this has value. I guess. Right, yeah. because you're you're talking about the battalion, which comes with a relatively sizable price tag in being mm-hmm. 140 points, in addition to paying for Bastilladon, in addition to paying for the Stig- Stegodon with Skink Chief, in addition to paying for one end of the gods with a, or a Stegodon. I would much rather than this battalion buy two Bastilladons and a command point. And be able to use Trove of the Old One yeah. technology. Now, you can still use Trove of the Old One technology throughout the battle, except for in this one shooting phase in which you are using this special ability. Okay. Well, it's a weird price to pay. Okay. The Prime Warbeast command trait is fine, but I don't think it offsets kind of how weird this second rule is and the limitations that apply to it. Okay. So now we have Atrazan's Blazing Cavalcade for Zinch. Yeah? Mm-hmm. We have a Fate Skimmer, Herald of Zinch, on a burning chariot. He's named one to three units of Horrors of Zinch uh, with a combined model count of no more than 30 models. Gleeful Immolation. That's a great name. Add one to the attack characteristics of melee weapons used by units from this battalion that made a charge move in the same turn. If you intend to complete the Reckless Abandoned Agenda from Battletome Disciples of Zinch, you cannot pick units from this battalion to complete the agenda. That's fine. The thing with that is you are basically getting the, and maybe my memory isn't serving me correctly, but you are basically getting the result of achieving the Reckless Abandon agenda by being in this battalion. Okay. Then the Opus Infernus. Atrazan, the Immolator, knows the Zinch's Firestorm spell. And what is that, Brendan? So the Zinch's Firestorm spell is one of the lore spells. It has a very high casting requirement. I believe it's an 8 or a 9. And in association with that, it's pretty good in that you are going to roll a bucket of dice, and for every six, you are going to, you know, do D3 mortal wounds. Okay, and what this particular ability does is it allows you to add two to the casting roll mm-hmm. of that spell. That yep. seems pretty good. It makes it more reliable. Obviously, you cannot pair it with the Destiny dice because the Destiny dice cannot be modified. Correct. But if this is your base casting and where that's going to come from, that's fine. Typically, Firestorm is a spell that you want to put on your Lord of Change because the Lord of the Change takes the lowest dice roll to match the highest of the two dice. Okay. And then, you know, gets a plus one modifier to it. Okay. If their command ability is up, which it's going to be. Okay, it's an interesting utility piece in that you have another reliable place to cast that from if you want to pair your Lord of Change with something else. Or if for some reason you're not taking a Lord of Change and you're going you're going horror spam with horror spam heroes. Yeah, of course. It's all right. When you talk about the asking price on, on this one at 150 points, again, that seems high. It's kind of a bit for what the rule is. Okay. Then we have two Fire Slayer War Scrolls. We yes. do. Why don't you talk to us about those two? So you have 
These are existing models that have had rules before. These are just rewrites. Mm-hmm. So you have the Doom Seeker, which is a four-inch move, four-up save, bravery eight, five wounds. He's got his throwing axe, which is eight-inch range, one attack, fours by fours, rend one, damage one. A shooting phase that you can liable, you know, forget and then use it in the one moment you need it and do the one wound that you need to do. Okay. He has two melee profiles, the Doom Seeker axe, which is a one-inch range. Three attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. And the runic war iron, which is one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, no rend, damage one. He's oath-bound. At the start of the first battle round, pick one enemy unit for this model to swear to destroy. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the combat phase, if this model is within three inches of that unit and has fought no more than once in that phase, this model can fight but can only target that unit. In addition, in the combat phase, if this model is slain while it was within three inches of that unit, it has sworn to destroy and has fought no more than once in that phase. This model can fight before it is removed from play. Okay. I like that language specifically, the mm. way it is included, because okay. there is a sub-faction of Fire Slayers that you can take mm. that allows them to pile in and fight a second time. Okay. So this is preventing you from being able to pile in and fight a third time or potentially a weird scenario in which you would die mm. in your third fight at the end of the phase and then be pile like, in and fight a fourth time okay. or something something like that. That would be nuts. His output isn't so high, but you are going to see this language in just a minute when we talk about the other War Scroll, okay. and that damage is quite a bit higher. The Doomseeker has the runic power. Add one to the damage characteristics of this model's melee weapons if it has one wound allocated to it, and add two to the damage characteristics of this model's melee weapons instead of if it has two or more wounds allocated to it, or when it fights when it is slain. See Oathbound. So suddenly this model, after it takes damage, which I do not advocate as a strategy, is dying typically. He becomes three angry. damage He's across the board, yeah. which is good as it is, you know, improving that output in this double fighting situation and why triple or a very weird quadruple fight uh, <laughs> would be very problematic. Paired again is the Grimwrath Berserker, which is a four-inch move, four-up save, bravery nine, six-wound hero. He has his throwing axe, which is the same as the Doomseeker, and he has his Firestorm Great Axe, which is a one-inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, rend Mm. two, damage two. And we have a local here who would trot out like eight of these Mm -hmm. because they didn't fit. They weren't leaders. They are just heroes. And you can have just heroes and them not be leaders, and they don't fill up that battlefield requirement, and they're still not leaders, so you can still take like eight of them if you wanted. That's hilarious. And what you have with them is, as you might imagine, with a character with these kinds of combat profiles, is they're very offensive. He has Battle Fury. At the end of the combat phase, if this model is within three inches of an enemy unit and has fought no more than once in that phase, roll a dice, and on a two-plus, this model can fight again. (laughs) With his four attacks that are threes by threes, Ren 2, damage 2. Yeah, of course. Dead but not defeated, if this model is slain in the combat phase and has fought no more than once in that phase, it can fight before it is removed from play. So the Grimwrath Oath, at the start of the first battle round, you can pick one of the following oaths for this model to swear. The rule for that oath applies until the end of the battle. If your army includes more than one model with this ability, you cannot pick the same oath more than once. Thankfully, there's six of them, so you have plenty of choices to take if you want to... So if you take your eight, they could all choose different ones. Well, if you take your eight, six of them will have one, and two of them will not. Okay, right. So the first one is, I will cut down the priests of Grimnir's enemies... Add one to hit and wound rolls for attacks made by this model and add one to the damage inflicted by those attacks if the target is a priest that does not have the Fire Slayer's keyword. Okay. Which would make him a twos by twos 
damage three axe <laughs> against priests if that ouch. one took that. Ouch, ouch. I will guard them with my life. When you pick this oath, pick one friendly Fire Slayer's hero other than this model that does not have the Magma Droth keyword. Reasonable. If that hero is within three inches of that model and not within three inches of a friendly Arc Hearth Guard unit, roll a dice before you allocate that wound or mortal wound to that hero. Mm-hmm. On a two-up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to this model instead. In addition, add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this model while it is within three inches of that hero. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Becomes a two-up, twos by threes. I will let nothing stand in my way. This model can run and still charge in the same <laughs> turn. In addition, you can re-roll run and charge rolls for this model. Oh, boy. hilarious. His little, his little legs. Little his stumpy legs. <laughs> I will prove Grimnir's might to our allies. Add one to hit and wound rolls for attacks made by this model while it is within 12 inches of a friendly allied unit, including this model if this model is itself taken oh, as okay. an allied unit. There we go. Yeah, fair enough. Twos by twos if you ally this guy into your army. Woohoo! <laughs> okay. Yeah. It will not. I will not be stopped. Roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to this model. Add one to the roll if there are any enemy units within three inches of this model. On a six plus, that wound or mortal wound is okay. negated. I get a death save. Nice. And I will strike hard and true in Grimnir's name. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by this model is a six, that attack inflicts one mortal wound to the target in addition to any normal damage. Okay. That's pretty good. All right. That's a pretty sizable improvement to that war scroll. Not that they were bad before. All right, Brendan. So we got one more to go. One, one more, more war scroll. War scroll. Why don't you hit up Gardas Steel Soul Soul Stormcast gets something in here. Yes. As they always do, they are the Space Marines of Warhammer. Fantasy, uh, Age of Sigmar, sorry. So Gardas Steel Soul is a named character. He is keyworded Hallowed Knights. When you are taking Stormcast, you can take the sub-faction of Hallowed Knights. If he is included in there, he would get the rules for being Hallowed Knights. If you take him in any other Stormcast sub-faction, he does not gain their rules for their sub-faction, but okay. you can include him. He is a 6-inch move, 4-up save, bravery 10, 5 wound. He's a Lord Celestant. He has two weapon profiles, same as a Lord Celestant. He has a Sigmarite Runeblade, which is a 1-inch range, 4 attacks, 3s threes by 3s, threes, rend 1, damage 1. And his Warhammer, which is a 1-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 3s, no rend, damage 1. He has a number of abilities, first of which is Aura of Purity. Roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to this model. Sorry, each time you allocate a mortal wound to this model, my brain decided to keep reading it. Mm-hmm. On a five up, that mortal wound is negated. In addition, roll a dice each time you allocate a mortal wound to a model from another friendly Hallowed Knights unit wholly within 12 inches of this model. On a six, that mortal wound is negated. It's a nice free rule to mm-hmm. get to your other units that'll be in range. Martyr Strength, roll a dice if this model is slain in the combat phase. On a two plus, this model can make a pylon move and then attack with all of its melee weapons it is armed with before it is removed from play. Yeah. You know, obviously his combat profile isn't amazing, but, nope. you know, it's, it it's fine. Saintly Assault. Once per battle at the start of your charge phase, you can declare that this model and other friendly Hallowed Knights heroes within 12 inches of this model will launch, a, will launch a Saintly Assault. Boy, what a mixture of words that is. <laughs> you can reroll charge rolls for those models in that phase. In addition, add one to the attacks characteristics of melee weapons used by those models until the end of the turn. Well, you could take somebody who's a lot choppier mm-hmm. and... Uh, you could take a Star Drake. Yeah. Well, you could. Yeah. It yeah. just says heroes, right? It does say Alan heroes. Knight heroes, yeah. Yes, sir. And then he has a Sigmarite Warcloak. In your shooting phase, this model can make D6 Storm Magic Strikes. It's not a shooting profile, so you could run and do this. For each strike, pick one enemy unit within 16 inches of that model that is visible to them and roll a dice. And on a four up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. And then he has a command ability, which is Furious Retribution. 
You can use this command ability at the start of the combat phase. If you do so, pick a friendly model with this command ability that is within 3 inches of an enemy unit. Add 1 to hit rolls for friendly Stormcast units, wholly within 12 inches of that model. When they attack in that combat phase, the same unit cannot be affected by this command ability more than once per phase. So that's good. Uh, it's not locked behind Hallowed Knights specifically, so you can take him in other Stormcast sub-factions and gain access to the plus one to hit from him. You know, it's quite all right. You could also be less expensive, and I believe the Lord Celestine has that command ability just base. Okay. But if you really like Gardas Steel Soul, then... Play him. Then you can, play, you can play him in whatever Stormcast sub-faction you want and be able to do that. Brendan, thanks for going over this book. I got some clarifications for sure for my Night Hunt. Thank you for rolling through those. Listeners, thank you for... Your patience as I was trying to figure out that one rule that Brendan explained to me like three times, but we got to it, and I understand. Yeah, so it hopefully now. everyone also gets it, uh, <laughs> and hopefully you enjoyed that book. I, there's so much in there for a lot of different people. Very, I like the happy. rules, so I think so far this has been my favorite Broken Realms book that we've talked about, and even of the one that we haven't talked about yet in Techless. I think the rules in here are impactful to really every faction that is in here. Mm -hmm. I know we skipped over a lot of the Seraphon stuff, but the ability to control the Shards of Valagar as a bound spell is pretty significant. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what I'm talking about, pull up the War Scroll. The ability for you to automatically control where you are going to move that line to inflict, I believe it's minus one to hit and have movement or something like that, instead of having to trade it off with your opponent, is pretty good. The Horror Ghast and the Soul Scream Bridge and Lalkin are whatever, but I think the Shards are the big winner out of that one. And even the Zinch Battalion isn't terrible. There is value to it. But the big winner far and away, I think, was Night Haunt. Absolutely. I can't say anything bad about what I've got here. And yeah, it just opens up so many possibilities, Brendan. I'm looking forward to our games in the future yep. now that you have kind of a, a larger bevy of rules that are attached to your list already. And I'm sure you're going to be making some changes oh, yeah. uh, based on you know what it is that we've talked about here and sure. you know the different models I know you have on your shelf. So, yeah. Great stuff. This was a good one. Obviously, the one we'll talk about, Techless, includes another whole second half of a battle tome. So that one sits a little bit differently with mm -hmm. me, obviously. But in terms of what these Broken Realms books should be... To this, me, this is a model of what it should be. This felt totally right. Yeah. So, folks, we're going to move on at this point, and we're going to jump into Scriptorium. Etc. 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 We are back with Scriptorium, but before we talk about Scriptorium, Brendan, we have just found out that you, in fact, were right on, and the announcement for Saturday today is Sigmar 3.0. Yes. Okay. And they are showing off these new Stormcast models right now. Ooh, brutal. I've got it playing here on my phone, and probably as we get to show close, any major other things that yeah. come up. We didn't see all of it so far. We saw a new... Stormcast Hero, named Hero, which is probably going to have a dual kit to run an unnamed version of it. And then we saw a unit called Vindictors, which are basically Gladiator Stormcasts. They look like it. And there is, I believe it was called an Annihilator. Yeah, it was a Paladin kind of guy. Yeah, it was, who had a big, huge shield. It was of, about as big as he was. <laughs> yeah, and a giant smashy hammer. Great. So I'm going to keep it playing on my phone and just so that I can observe and take notes and things like that. I'm going to have to go back now. And basically all you're going to hear when we talk about predictions for Saturday is Brendan saying 3.0 because everything I said was wrong. So, <laughs> so far, there's still... I'm going to take it all out. 
<laughs> Take it all back. Anyway, so let's go to Scriptorium real quick, mm-hmm. Brendan. So new releases, we have three things. We have a sister's collection of three stories. We have a Necromunda Underhive story. And then for the Sons of Sanguinius, we do have a Blood Angels Omnibus those are the three new books for folks who are interested in reading stuffs. Reads, watches, and listens for you, my friend. Nothing has really changed. I'm still listening to that Siege of Terra, the second book, The Lost and the Damned. Yes. I had talked about picking up Dan Carlin's The End is Always Near book on mm-hmm. Audible sale. Uh, so I, you know, I, I couldn't help myself and I started listening to that. So now I'm trying to listen to three books at the same time. It's <laughs> uh, fun. Thankfully, they're all three very different subject matters. Great. And so I can kind of keep all of the ideas uh, separate and distinct in my head. But unfortunately, it means I haven't finished (laughs) any of the ones so far. In terms of watching, HBO has a documentary about QAnon where a Mm. documentarian goes and explores the origins and the people involved. and interesting. And trying to unravel and demystify some of the more troublesome parts of it and where it comes from and how people are grabbed by it and kind of explaining the people behind it with the ultimate goal of trying to reveal who the person who is Q Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not all the way done. I do hope that he gets to the bottom of it. What about you, Dan? What if <laughs> I finished Luther and I'm also listening now to Call of Duty? Not the video game. No. <laughs> It's a Caiaphas Kane book. It's the fifth book. It's just wonderful because even Cindy was has been listening as she always does when I'm hobbying and stuff. And she was like, boy, we haven't heard from the Tyranids for a while. <laughs> so it has everything with Tyranids. They got a hive tyrants and lictors and everything else. And Kane and Amberly, all the, the characters. And really a great story, a fun story, if there can be such thing in the grimdark. Always great to listen to. Uh, I put Genevieve on hold because I could not help myself to read Alfarius. So I picked it up. I finished it yesterday. It took me no time to finish how far. Yeah, yes. clearly. <laughs> and I was already, you know, as I was getting near the end, I was like, okay, I'm jumping on Genevieve. I'm going on that. I'm going to get that started again. And then I just said, okay, I'm starting Mortis. So mm-hmm. I have started the next Siege of Terra book. I'm about a fifth of the It is huge, Brent. I just showed it to you. It's monstrous. It's even a little bigger than Saturnine. And very I good. I can't course. wait to listen to that one. <laughs> But it's very good. And it was written again by the guy who wrote the first one. So it was written by John French, which is And I, you know, I obviously just finished the first one and I was thrilled with that book. Yeah, you will like this one too. Really, really good stuff. And then the last thing I wanted to mention was a friend and I watched something that he is a former student and he is one of my former students. I've got three or four who are really into anime. Big time. Okay. But this is really fun. Uh, There's a movie called Castle in the Sky. And I recommend that anyone watch this. It is just a coolio anime. It is kind of anime combined with steampunk. There's a couple of young protagonists. There's really cool villains. If you've got a young kid, you know, Ty, you and Landy would probably love listening to this and watching this movie. I know most of the time you have to pay for it uh, to get it, but it's worth it. Uh, It's worth it. Make some popcorn and pretend you're at the theater. Uh, Sure. (laughs) But it just was a fun movie with all kinds of amazing graphics and action and just when you finished it you just felt good it was one of those kind of movies uh without even with all the terrible things happening to it during it so i would recommend castle in the sky to a lot of people but that's it for my listens and stuffs oh and by the way five days six days until the next (laughs) 
Love Death and Robots. Thank yes. you, Brandon. Yes, love Death and Robots season two. So I don't have long to wait for that. With that comment, we are going to move on to this or that. Brendan, your choice this time. Um, I'll start. Mine are pretty chill. Okay. So, Warhammer Fest, other than Monday and obviously, you know, what we're kind of learning here on Saturday. Sure. Which of the days were you most impressed with the releases from? Or the announcements, rather. Okay, with the exception of the, of the Sigmar stuff. Right. I really liked the Friday with all the orc stuff. That was really cool. It just It's neat to see orcs getting a different faction, actually, within their codex. It's neat to see them getting updated again. The Mega Armor War Boss was cool. So that was the one I enjoyed the most, going back and kind of looking at what the notes were from that one. Okay. Yeah, I like that one the best. Broken Realms, Marathi and Bellacor had two characters make significant plays in the Age of Sigmar universe. Obviously... There are things in Teclas, but you know we'll talk about that when we talk about that book. Between mm. Broken Realms, Marathi, or Bellacor, from the lore perspective, which one had your attention more? Which one do you think is more impactful? The This is the narrative question of it. I think two answers to that. One, I think that overall Bellacor is more impactful because I think a lot more of the mortal realms were affected by the things he tried to do, by his machinations. Mm-hmm. I certainly have... A bit of bias because one of my favorite parts of the lore is where he was interacting with the Night Haunt and Lady O. That was pretty fascinating. And the way that section ended, it was just she and some others were just kind of eyeing him like, you know, you're next, buddy, even though we helped you out here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the way it was written, it was very cool. So I, I think from a narrative perspective, I think it had more of an impact. And obviously, from a rules perspective, there's just it doesn't matter what else they do in the other books or what they have done. For me personally, because I'm a Nighthaunt player, I could not have asked for more in many ways. So it was just a knockout of the ballpark for me. Okay. was. Emerald Host or Reikoners Condemned? Okay, so I'm going to hedge my answer here. Okay. So if I play a lot of Chain Rasps, mm-hmm. if I want to focus on them, definitely Rikonor's Condemned. If I want to play another army now that you have kind of pointed out the the battalion to the, me. The Infinity Olinder. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, just, that just fascinates me now, and I can't wait to get back to my book and just start list hammering with that. So I think I would go with Emerald Host. I also think that their mix of models that you would end up putting in that would be more interesting especially if you take the battalion. I'm already going to be taking Herodans. I've already got Lady O. I got some hex rays in the works and some you know, other things. I'm going to have to get some Mirborn Banshees if I go with that. I just think it's more interesting, and I think it might be more impactful. Okay. So, yeah. You have met the family of ducks that is living uh, on the side of my house. <laughs> yes, very personally. <laughs> yes. What kind of animal would you want to live on your little bit of uh, deck space that you have here? Wabbits, I think. You, you would want rabbits yeah. here five stories up? Yeah. I, that seems unsafe, Dan. Well, I say this because we had a family of rabbits when we owned our home in Brown Deer. And it was just fun to see them come up every spring, you know, and go around and watch the little ones come up. And hopefully I didn't mow over the nest, you know, because that happened a couple times. And Oof. they were there. The babies were still there because okay. it was dug deep enough. But I'd go over it and i look back. I'm going, oh, my God. Like, that could have been bloody, you know? And then I ended up moving them, and it was, it was just a lot of interactions with the with that family of bunnies, so that was kind of fun. 
Okay. And they just kept coming back year after year. They never got wiped out by any of the local predators. So that was always kind of interesting. Last question, a sporting event that you don't watch anymore. Yes. Uh, the NBA is moving towards the playoffs here very shortly. Yes. We have had a whole season of basketball almost played, mm-hmm. uh, of which you have watched probably none of it. Nope. Who is going to win this year? Brendan, I can't even answer the question. This is my favorite part. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> like, you'll pick a team that's like maybe eliminated. Because I, can't, I have no freaking clue who is even playing this year. Okay, just, okay. So here... I am... I'll... I'll make this a little bit easier yeah, for you. Give me something. So the top three teams in the East are the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm-hmm. As of last night, and the two seed is the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. Number three is the Brooklyn Nets with their superstar team that they have spent their future on to, to win in the now. In the West, you have Utah and the Suns really fighting for first place there. Sure. And then in third, and I'll give you two teams here, the Clippers and the Nuggets mm-hmm. are fighting for that three spot. Sure. So who out of all those teams you mentioned do I think is going to win? Yes. I'll even take the winner of just each side. Jazz. So the Jazz are going to win it all. They're going to win it in the West, and I think the Phillies will win it in the East. Uh, the 76ers, yeah. Wow, the Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies, huh? Yeah, they're yeah, going right. to stop playing no. baseball, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's me, my baseball mind. No, so I think the Sixers and the Jazz... And I would say the Jazz will win between those two. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? What are you thinking? I mean, I'm a reckless homer here. The Milwaukee Bucks are going to win. I want the Bucks to win. Yeah. Fair enough, man. What do you got? I'm watching a preview. A new breed of evil emerges soon. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Maybe that's my vampers. I don't know. No, it's probably not your vampers. Darn it. It looks like bugs. Oh, wow. Cool. Tyranids. (laughs) Nids. Sigmar Nids. Sigmar Tyranids. <laughs> and that looks like the end of it. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. So are you done? Did you give me five? That's my five. Okay. Yeah. So the first one is you're going to take a Bellacore First Prince army. Okay. And you get choice of two different kinds of demons, mm-hmm. Nurgle or Zinch, with the rules as they are right now. I think the the fact that Nurgle has that five up automatically behind it, mm-hmm. it's the faction that benefits the least from being in isolation in the in the first prince, even with all the recalls and everything you can do, yeah, yeah, I think the army that benefits from that most is probably Zinch. Because when you're adding models, you can add pinks, which means you're adding blues and yep. and horrors, yeah, yeah. But you're okay. you're only adding one instead of D three to that unit of horrors. But but you're getting you're getting you're getting a pink, which is brims. two blues and two brims, right? So that one model is. Five wounds. Right. And you can also summon five horrors, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a lot. And you're getting the six up save save. against wounds and mortal wounds, which to an army that has a high level of fragility, adding another layer is going to exponentially increase your ability to survive and and subsequently do damage. Great. We know that the Bladegeist and the Herodans, I think they're comparable in a lot of ways, but Mm. do you think... The retreat and charge rule or the minus one to hit is better in ter- in the context of those two units. In the context of an army that has the ability to fly, I think retreat and charge is more important. Okay. Because you can hit the frontline screen, mm-hmm. not clear it, and then move on to the target that you are looking for if you pull off a double turn or have positioned yourself in a way where you can jump over the screen and then charge something else. Okay. So I'm going to ask you the same question you asked me. Emerald Host or Condemned? 
This is a tough one, right? Because you have two distinct build options. You have a higher damage output version in using the hex rates, which, which is good. Uh, but I am a proponent of rather than trying to do something you don't do well better, doing something you do well at a level that is considered great. That's why I think Rykonor's Condemned, in my mind, probably more useful to Night Haunt. The reason for that being you have the ability to teleport to two locations, which forces your opponent to make, to have to split their decision making, right? Because right now I know I, if I can kill that Dreadblade Harrow, you are stuck in a spot. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you have a, a high movement and you have the ability to fly, but I can still box you in and I don't have to worry about that objective that's back there anymore. Mm-hmm. When you have two of those targets, I now have to commit my resources to two different locations. You have already kind of like leaned on and learned that the screening with Chainrass is good. Making them more reliable is fantastic, awesome, and great. Mm-hmm. But the army is built on the ability to be somewhere, be somewhere fast, and be there a lot. So the command ability to up your movement, the command ability to you know, pull to a general and have effectively two generals on the table... I think that is the higher value in terms of overall gameplay. Okay. But if you're willing to play 60 hex rates, then it's a no-brainer. Uh, sure. Plus one attack across 60 models is huge. Is a lot of attacks. Yep. And potentially a lot of mortal wounds because of yes. the sixes, mortal wounds. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, you're going to study World War II. Okay. Okay, and you're going to w- focus on one of these two areas. So are you going to focus on the air war in Europe... Or the submarine war in the Pacific? Which would be of more interest to you? Hmm. That is an interesting question. The air war in Europe was this kind of ever-expanding, ever-evolving arms race where you had, in the case of the United States, basically conscripted the American people into developing their best ideas into (laughs) something that hopefully worked. And then in Europe, uh, specifically with the Germans, you had... It conscripted the best scientists into developing the the next level of technology in mm-hmm. jet fighter aircraft. And then when you're talking about like the submarine war in the Pacific, oh man, I don't think it was like the it's very there's a lot of drama, there's a lot of tension, right? The stakes are incredibly high. The piece of equipment that the Americans have committed the future of their military venture in is particularly vulnerable to submarines. In the aircraft carriers. Okay, sure. Right? And the Japanese are also the other group that had aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. And the and keeping an eye out on the submarines became this art. And being able to set depth charges to the targets and screening mm-hmm. them out and all mm-hmm. that. While there is a lot of tension and drama to that, that is... I think more compelling on an individual storytelling basis of individual American submarines and what they did. Yeah. American submarines or, you know, the trying to catch and capture or identify Japanese submarines. And if you had stories from Japanese submarine crews, that would also be very interesting, right? Because typically history Mm -hmm. is written by the the winners, right? So we have a lot of, you know, American submarine stories, but the same thing was occurring, you know, on the other half of that battlefield, right? One group was just a little bit more successful than the other in that regards. Sure. But I think the rate of improvement and change that mm-hmm. occurred in the, the air war in Europe, I think, is a more compelling thing to learn about okay. uh, because the pace was absolutely breathtaking. Mm. 
planes were built, were designed, developed, and built in the span of weeks. And, you know, we talk about design and development of aircraft now, and and you're talking about, you know, decades oh, years, sometimes. That's obviously times were different and the needs necessita- necessitated uh, something else, but it is something that cannot be understood in the modern context. Okay. My last question has to do with some acronyms. Okay. Okay. So you're going to buy a new car. Sure. Would you buy an HEV or an FEV? A hybrid electric vehicle or a fully electric vehicle? To give the context to everybody else, Dan has recently purchased a full electric vehicle. A Bolt. And and we went on a a drive around the neighborhood with it. And it is quite a cool vehicle. And I had a lot of questions for Dan. I was very impressed with the, Mm -hmm. the new vehicle you bought. But as we were talking about the time travel to NashCon and the and the different considerations mm-hmm. you had to take uh, in that, you know, was, uh, your trip planning was more thorough than than it had to be in certain circumstances, Absolutely. right? Because you have different things you have to monitor. It's not as quick as filling up a gas tank. Nope. You cannot just stop at any exit, and there's not Go to a gas station. Exactly. Right. right. You know, we're moving in that direction, which is great and awesome and fantastic. But it's it still takes me half an hour to put a charge versus. Five minutes to put a gas in a tank. Right. It takes you you twice as long for me to get out of my car, fill up my gas tank, close it, go in the store, mosey around, you know, use the bathroom, you know, buy some food, turn the car back on, you know, set my next destination That's in. That's your 15 minutes. Right. I get 30 minutes to do all that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm, I'm off on the road. I would say probably a hybrid electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. I won't say that... Your like needing to stay overnight to get the full charge in your vehicle to NashCon uh, is a bad thing necessarily, but I don't necessarily have that time to give. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, you are retired. You know, yeah. if you had to leave, and it was part of my trip anyway because mm-hmm. I wasn't going to drive the ten or twelve hours straight. So yeah. sure, you know, unfortunately, I have to spend yes. vacation days to go yes, wherever. Absolutely. You know, and I'm a Midwest stereotype in its truest form, where you're talking about a twelve-hour drive, and I'm go. I mean, driving's fine. I was like, I could fly, though. Like, I don't... Like, it ends up being, like, this weird decision where just about anybody else from anywhere else goes, well, you have to fly there. I go, well, hold on a second. Yeah, yeah. My family would drive to Atlanta from Chicago, would drive to Orlando from Chicago, would drive out east, you know. That's just the way things are around here. So I would say hybrid because I do like the flexibility of, you know, having that backup of... You know, of a gas tank in case, you know, you are venturing to an area where electrical charge is limited. Mm -hmm. I would still, you know, plan my nights around, you know, where I could be able to get full charges. But I, in the day portion of it, I would want the flexibility to be able to say, okay, well, we need to be there by X time. I don't have an hour to give to, to charge up, but I do have 15 minutes to fill up my gas tank. Fair enough. Sounds good. All right. Okay, that's it. Yeah. And we are on to show close. Yeah, with a few very long-winded answers on my part. (laughs) There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Okay, we're back. Episode 74. God, Brendan, I was thinking Broken Realms techless, but who knows what's going to be sitting out there. Sure. In two weeks. If Soul Blight Gravelords is out in time for us to, you know, be able to get our hands on it and do that show, I think that's totally fine. And we should follow the things that make us passionate. Yeah. I don't think we'll probably have it in time. So Broken Realms Techless is probably the right decision. As you've said before, we need to talk about that book. We can't just leave it behind. There's some significant things in there. There's some significant changes to Nurgle stuff. Mm -hmm. Very big changes. And then we got to cover the other half of the The Luminous book. Luminous stuff. So I think that's what we're going to plan, listeners, is 74 in a couple weeks. Um, God willing, well, everything will work out. We can do Broken Realms Techless. And then that would actually work out, Brendan, because then 
in late May, early June would be our next episode, and that would give us time to do some digesting on that Soul Blight book, which will hopefully be out by then. And yeah, we if, if we have, yeah, if we have an extra couple of weeks, then uh, we'll be able to pull that apart. Because while there will be some War Scrolls, I expect to be extremely similar from their present state. Uh, you are looking at a very hero dense book. Mm-hmm. That is going to have rules that we have no real precedent for. Mm-hmm. And I imagine with just what we've seen, the bloodlines or dynasties uh, are going to be one of the more complicated sub-factions or rules interactions that we've probably seen in a while. And to your mention before the show, we were talking about the fact that if, and we know now that 3.0 is coming out, this book most likely most likely, not necessarily for sure, was written with 3.0 in mind. So this may give us some insight into the next edition and the next version of Sigmar. Mm -hmm. If we see some subtle changes and wording in these rules that we haven't seen before. Of course. So that would be useful as well. And it'd give us time to look for that stuff if we have a little more time on the other end. Sounds like a plan. And again, thank you, Brendan, as always. And otherwise, we will be back in a couple weeks with Broken Realms Techless. Take care, stay healthy, and stay safe. Bye. This is